I don't I don't care that Arsenal has Gunnersaurus or whatever, or they used to have Gunnersaurus before Mesodozil killed him. Hello and welcome back to the Touchline Theory Soccer Podcast. This is episode five. I'm Martin. I'm joined here today by my good friend Will. Will, what is going on, man? Um, not a lot's going on. I still kind of riding the high from the Liverpool game this weekend, and that I mean, absolutely insane Allison goal, which I'm sure you saw. I'm sure just about everyone has seen by now. Yes, I heard you. You also have been doing your taxes recently. Tell me about that. How's that been as well? My taxes, they were not a great time. I got through all of them online. And then right when I got to the end, I ran into a problem. I had to start over and do them on paper. But You're kidding. Nope. uh, But I'm used to it now. I've had to do them on paper the past few years. So not, not the worst. Got them mailed in. Hope I put enough stamps on. But I guess we'll find out. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I guess this week has definitely been eventful. Um, yeah, you had a, another South American score a late winner that maybe helped you out a bit, although maybe not quite as much as Liverpool got helped out by ours. Yeah, this weekend was kind of an interesting one for Barca fans. So we the, the B team basically lost in the uh, promotion playoff qualification game, which was kind of a bummer. And that was, I believe, at like 6 a.m. Eastern time, Saturday morning. And then the men's team went on to basically kill our slim chances of winning the La Liga trophy, uh, which was quite the, yeah, I don't know, quite the just hodgepodge of up, down, like one goal was scored in one game, another goal was scored in another game. Like I was on video call with my brother watching all three on a bunch of different screens just reacting in live time and then yeah Luis Suarez netted one for Atletico right in the nick of time um so shout out to our former player for at least for one more match day saving Real Madrid from winning the the trophy um but then the women's team the the Barca Femini went on to win the Champions League final on the women's side against Chelsea scoring four goals in the span of 35 minutes, which was insane. Just like so dominant, such a lovely kind of reminder of what a Barcelona team is actually capable of. And Mm -hmm. just such a nice way, I think, for them to cap off. I think what was it ultimately very, very dominant season. A lot of players attracting a lot of attention in terms of, yeah, just like their sheer ability to to i mean you don't put four goals in 35 minutes in on a team in the champions league final without just like utterly running riot and that's exactly what they did so no and it's uh the first time they've won the champions league too right yes i think the last yeah. five years have been taken by leon's women's team yeah which I, is I knew insane. that insane um, yeah very but, very impressive program uh, yeah um i guess in terms of other general updates I'm currently trying that I think you might find entertaining. At least I'm currently trying to buy a car right now. You think that I might find entertaining or the people listening? No, it's just a big these gap are just, between those things. These are just for you, Will. But I, I, I've been looking for a car for the past year, basically. And I, I really <laughs> want a car. I don't necessarily have an entirely uh, strict need for a vehicle, but I, I really do feel as though it's kind of like a freedom thing that I've lost a little bit in quarantine. I, you know, it sucks to always have to ask friends for rides places. 
So yeah, we tried well, to buy a car. It, so <laughs> that's right. I did ask you for plenty of rides back when we were younger. Um, Not but as so much you as don't, some. you don't. Yeah. You don't have the same no. experience. You've had that car for so long, but I guess you, maybe not anymore. No, you totaled that. No, I, I still got a car, different car, but yeah. <laughs> well, that, that, I, that so one, I, the other one's long gone. Yeah, was, uh, we, we had some good times in that car. Some some bad times too. The womanizer mobile. I I think that's what it was called. Yeah. <laughs> But never see it's like again. Um, I mean, get this though. So I've been looking for this like for this car for like a year, and I've called so many different people, and finally thought that one was going my way. Negotiated with the guy on Friday, kind of arrived at a price. Was planning to travel to go get the car, and today I've been getting more and more kind of these signals that he's kind of a little weird, and maybe he's scamming me, and it's a lot of money. So I've been on edge all day today, um, kind of trying to assess what my plan is, and. I guess at the same time, on Friday too, I'm currently interning, and I, my job, the system thought that my internship ended on Friday. Okay. At, which it I wasn't aware of, yeah. um, because I'm supposed to work until August, and so it logged me out of everything, like my calendar, my email, all the software that we use at at work, and so I spent like five hours today on the phone with just like the tech support. And man, that is draining. So I'm bad. excited. I'm excited to hopefully be talking about something that's a little bit more uh, intriguing, or at least a question that I know I was very excited to dive into. I know maybe you were a little more reluctant, but hopefully we can we can get. I, something I don't know good what you're talking this. about. I've I've been ready to go for this <laughs> podcast the whole time. I well, bring so 100 effort, 100 energy. <laughs> well, I'm glad you're with it. Um, today, basically, what we're gonna what I'm alluding to is. A, a question I think that's been on a lot of people's minds recently. We talked about the Super League in episode one that, that related to, you know, these big money owners that were changing clubs, not for the better, but for the worse. And, and today we're going to be talking about a question that may be somewhat linked to that. But it is the question of why is everybody rebranding? And so this comes kind of off the back of the most recent case in which we've seen a club change their outward appearance to fans in the form of kind of adjusting a logo or you can call it a badge or a crest um their their club kind of identity and so we're kind of going to dive into first just the context here we're talking about the columbus crew of the mls it is a mo the most recent example in a long line of of teams that have made sudden changes that have been subsequently regarded with quite a bit of fan upheaval um, and so the idea is that we're going to talk a little bit about, you know, the context of that rebrand, what it means, the reaction that it was met with, and then we'll kind of talk about a bunch of other examples of other clubs doing similar things. And really, you know, I, I we maybe have mentioned this in passing, but will you and I have been trying a bunch of different structures for these episodes. Yeah. And we, we kind of had the super league one to start that was just kind of a massive scramble and then since then i think the second one was kind of more in the middle it was maybe you know had a bit of structure but we were a bit more free-flowing and then i think we've just kind of gone off the deep end in the past couple weeks and just lost our structure entirely we're just kind of <laughs> rambling on about stuff for two hours and we don't know when to stop so we're, we're trying to lock down a style where maybe we don't do that so stick with us as we uh experiment and you know, 
at least it's at least it's a bit of variety. You never know what to expect. It's like we're two old men in a nursing home, you know, reminiscing over questions and sitting here and we have no idea kind of what's going to happen, what's going to come. And with this episode in particular, I think I've outlined to you that my intent is basically I haven't really written down in our outline many answers to the questions I'm going to pose today. I think my hope is to just kind of ask things and see where they take us. So, well, let's find out. Well, cool. Um, So, yeah, I kind of want to start by just discussing and outlining the Columbus thing, because I know that this was like, again, the most recent situation. And for for those of you that are listening to this that are familiar with the with the, you know, the recent occurrences, then you'll understand this perfectly well. But for those of you that maybe don't. Columbus is obviously a city in the United States. It has a team that's very historic. Um, it has a very, very strong uh, historic identity, too. I think their um, colors, they're relatively strong for the United States. It, it is. It's about 25 years or something. So by normal soccer standards, not a very strong history at all. But yes, T- totally. Yeah. And yes, important caveat to note there, yeah. obviously, given that um, if we're comparing this to clubs yeah. that have been in existence for 100 plus years, it doesn't really, it pales in comparison. But for the U.S., within the context um, that we're kind of examining things, it's definitely kind of one of the more historic clubs. And I, I don't know, it might even have been like one of the, yeah, one of like the nine first clubs in the MLS. But in any case, the idea is basically they had this really nice logo that was this round shape that had a bunch of significance in it. And there was this checkered portion that was to represent kind of like the fans and their interactions with the club and then it had like these diagonal lines that signified kind of upward trajectory for the city and there was an o that was supposed to suggest ohio and all these really nice kind of like symbolic things artistically represented in this logo and a couple days ago they came out with what i would probably call an abomination of a just total mangling of their logo and they had this (laughs) hype video and it was all about you know it's the classic hype video stuff that you see when any organization does a rebrand where it's like, especially if it's a sports scene where it's basically like, you know, we're all in this together. One club, one city, you know, like just all this stuff. That's just like really low hanging fruit, like community based stuff. You could say about literally any team in the world. Exactly. And so basically what happened was they changed it. Yeah. To like this, what looks kind of like a tooth, Honestly, like a sharp tooth. It's being generous. And it's got like this C in it, um, which is, is is funny for a club that bases itself out of Ohio, given that the C really isn't a unique kind of uh, attribute for Columbus. They also have Cincinnati and Cleveland as two massive cities in Ohio that the C also could represent. So it's not really like setting itself apart in that sense. Um, it's changed its name from the Columbus crew to the to Columbus soccer club. And then within quotations, the crew as like a subtitle. And so and and the color is gone pretty much. It it went from being a pretty much yellow and black thing to now just a white and black thing with like a very faint yellow outline. It doesn't really stand out. Yeah. And it, it basically took something that I think was, people were very fond of and and they're obviously any club over the course of time has a progression of rebrands and and artistic reinventions of their of their logo but this was just very stark very significant and it marked kind of this interesting moment off the back of all this super league stuff because 
for Columbus specifically, there was this recent thing that was called Save the Crew, right? So Save the Crew was a situation that happened when the owners of, of the Columbus crew, I believe it was maybe last year or a little or a year or two ago, they basically proposed taking the club from Columbus to Austin. And this is like something that, as far as I'm concerned, is actually kind of weirdly common in American sports, or at it's, least like... It's incredibly common in American sports, actually. Uh, most teams do this. And uh, I have a point about that. Like, I want to make a lot later down the road. But yeah. Definitely. I, and I, it's basically, the idea is, yeah, they wanted to relocate the club for one reason or another. Austin, for those, again, that aren't familiar, is in Texas. It's a booming city. A lot of people are moving there. There's a lot of jobs. You can see the reason why somebody might want to kind of capitalize on that market, but the fan base obviously was outraged. And and so the crew keeps seeing as they have quite the legacy in the MLS, there was this movement that was basically started called Save the Crew that has its own website and then had their own graphic designers made a bunch of, you know, they made it was a grassroots movement and, and basically Save the Crew won. So they mm -hmm. kept the team in Columbus. It was this huge kind of like watershed moment for the club that it was like this demonstration that, you know, the supporters are really what matter most. And then shortly later, they went ahead and tried to do this rebrand. And what basically ended up happening is that the announcement video that I mentioned was was met with a lot of vitriol. So there's this Sports Illustrated piece by Br Brian Strauss um, that did the rounds on Twitter that kind of talked about all of the reasons why this is kind of a disaster, kind of a nightmare. And ultimately, you know, the 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 view of this is that after that watershed moment with Save the Crew, suddenly it's like the management at the club went behind the fans back this time, didn't consult any fan groups and made this change and, and marred the image that was basically just established for the club. And so today we're yeah. going to kind of take this and, and, and just ask, like, what's really going on here? Because this isn't something that is unique to Columbus. This is something that's happened recently with Montreal, with Juventus in Serie A, with Inter in Serie A. And, and plenty of other organizations that have kind of either tried to do this or failed miserably to do this rebranding thing. And I, so I asked today one of my, the only person that I know that is a like formal education in marketing. Uh, she graduated from the business school that I, that I like the same school that I go to, the business school within it. And I texted her today this morning and I said, hey, I'm just curious, what is actually the value of rebranding? As you we were kind of like thinking, about this question and i didn't get a response so as two people that have much much fewer credentials in that marketing department and have no idea kind of maybe at least starting this episode as to why these things would be important or why rebranding might be appealing i guess we're just going to try to find an answer yeah, I think I've got a good shot. I think a lot of the time you can kind of be too close to the problem to see the answer clearly. And maybe that's what your friend was going through. So if you take someone who, like you and me, who's just very far away, have no idea <laughs> at all what they're talking about. I mean, we're sure to land on an answer, even if it's not the right one. Two total idiots <laughs> taking a stab at it. Yeah. Well, one so, and a half. But yeah. All right. I think what we'll do then is I, I want to start, Will, by basically asking you a ground-level question. I guess one of the one of the ways that I think I've been taught to approach problems is just to kind of understand 
what like using first principles, what are the foundational kind of components to this, right? And so when we talk about rebranding and we talk about the reaction that fans have had and, and different things, I think we have to kind of pull it back to the very start and ask ourselves a couple of kind of baseline questions. So the first thing that I want to maybe discuss is just like, why does a logo matter? Why is this such a thing? What does a logo really mean? Well, a logo is, I mean, it, it can mean a lot of different things, but I mean, at its core, it's just kind of trying to distill like the entire brand or club that it represents down to just one drop, one little image. And this is something, you know, that you're going to see more than you see anything else from the brand. It's just going to be something that, you know, the club would hope would just be something you kind of encounter in everyday life. And it gives you kind of a positive reminder. Of like, yeah, like that's my team. Like, I really like them. Um, I think that, yeah, I like that. I think the the idea, right, is to sum up every, the identity of this organization in some sort of like graphical sense, right? I mentioned the Columbus thing and having like, you know, something as simple as like a checkered design symbolizing something to the effect of the fans interacting with the club and things like that. There's all these little kind of nuances that I think organizations try to put into some of these logos. And what's interesting, right, is that nowadays there's kind of a demarcation between like logos, badges, crests. There's kind of a little bit of a difference between them. Yeah, you know what I mean? like Liverpool have like uh, the crest is like just the bird, but the official logo has the Hillsborough gates and uh, the little flames and everything. Right. And and in that example in particular, one thing that you note is like the 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 Shankly gates and the, the liver bird and whatnot, like those things are kind of components that represent the club in some capacity or like what exactly does that I guess, say about the group that they define in your eyes, even though it's kind of an abstract thing, there's like obviously direct intent behind that. Yeah. And you mentioned too, a similar kind of direct intent between uh, with the Columbus badge and how they had like all those little components that made up little uh, kind of facts about the city or little uh, elements of it. But I think that sort of thing is kind of only relevant to really like diehard fans of the club. I think that's sure. that's something because like I I didn't even know the significance of some of the Liverpool stuff until a few years after I started following the team. I didn't know any of the Columbus stuff until you just told me about it right now. Mm. Um, and I, I think that's the kind of thing you have to do some digging into. I don't think that's really the sort of thing that's important to a logo at just like a first gut reaction level. Yeah, I, I think you could also kind of examine this from the recognition angle that you mentioned too, where there's certainly mm -hmm. like the, the detail route that you could take where it's like, Oh, I want to have a bunch of nuance in the drawing or make it something representative um, of the city. Uh, I don't but, think that's ideal though. The logo wants to be something you can kind of like identify from a distance, right? Exactly. So one of the things that, you know, you definitely see is this transition. I think most recently from complexity to this more kind of minimalist reductionist, uh, look and a mm -hmm. lot of teams are looking to to kind of strip away which honestly why i'm surprised that liverpool still has like the shankly gates over the over the top of the crest which are obviously yeah. very intricate and ornate a lot of teams have kind of done away with that and, and i think we'll maybe we can maybe dive into a couple of examples in which a lot of not just teams but but you know companies organizations broadcasting groups tournaments have tried to kind of streamline their outward appearance.
Yeah, everyone wants a one icon uh, logo now. They're getting getting rid of all the text, getting rid of all the details. They just want one little shape in a distinctive color that you can remember easily. I'm looking here. We've got a couple of examples that we've that I'm I'm interested in kind of chatting about. I know I mm -hmm. I, I I've added here two that you seem to resonate with when we were discussing briefly earlier before the episode, the Europa League and the Premier League. Um, maybe do you want to maybe describe the changes and, and and your thoughts, your gut reactions on maybe the transitions that you're seeing here? Um, yeah, I, I think these are two examples of kind of very successful rebrands. I would say I think uh, the Europa League went from having kind of a red and yellow color scheme to one that's now uh, mostly black with like these little like yellow kind of electric looking streaks. And it's just, it's very distinctive. They they have a lot of uh, consistency across everything they put out. Like if I see something in those colors, I now immediately just associate with this and it looks very clean, it looks good. And I think I'd say the hmm. same thing about the Premier League. And uh, the Premier League went from, you know, kind of having this mainly blue and white thing and this whole lion standing on the ball that they'd put on everything just, cutting off the lion's head and now only having that as a little smaller icon. And what they also did is they, they switched to using uh, kind of this range of like pastel colors that they now have on all of their graphics. And again, it's, it's a very distinctive color palette. I can look at it and immediately know kind of, this is the league I'm watching. This is what I'm looking at. Yeah. No. I, I guess one of the interesting things with the Premier League one in particular in, in having cut off the lion's head and basically done away with the body and, and enlarged the head a little bit in the graphic. I, I think one thing that's very evident here, and I, I read this online when they were I was reading something that had that talked about this specific shift, and they talked about how the the icon of the lion can be more easily used across all sorts of platforms and devices seamlessly. And it's kind of this yeah. this thing that's larger it's easier to see the the former one is more of a badge and it's got more intricate detail but this is just something that's like almost better suited to the to the digital age you know yeah it, it, it's an app icon pretty much that's yeah. what it looks like and it serves great as that and i think what's interesting if you look if you look at like the europa league one one other intriguing component here is this kind of they're they're doing away with what kind of looks like a former attempt to make logos somewhat three-dimensional with like drop shadows and gradients and things that give off like a metallic look to basically making them entirely two-dimensional, which you can read into that as much as you want in terms of the, you know, the reduction in complexity by basically removing an entire dimension of drawing to this. But like you see this across a lot of different things. Like you can look at the Fox sports logo and its transition and they did a very similar thing where they had like some borders, they had some gradients that made it look like there was kind of like some luster to the logo. And now it's just flat. Yeah. And I think uh, Sky Sports was similar, kind of getting rid of a bit of that shine and making it more flat with their new logo. Well, and speaking of one thing that I found really funny, honestly, was the amount of, well, just generally the amount of detail that goes into like the graphic designers that, that select things here. Obviously this is a, an image that's going to be, you know, broadcast to millions of people. So every little de every little tiny tidbit is of value. And if you have something like Sky Sports, where it's basically a blue box, a red, a red box, the word sky and the word sports, there's not a lot to work with, right? And and so one of the interesting things that I found was that they cited that so Sky Sports initially was like you said a little shinier or whatever, and sports was in all caps. 
and they recently you, you transitioned. You can't have that. You can't have all caps anymore. That's the world we live in. Now it's all lowercase. And this was like the big thing. Was like I, I saw this quote that said that lowercase fits in with the trend of greater inclusivity amongst brands and groups. And I just kind of laughed at that because I think, you know, it's it, we talked about virtue signaling a little bit too, but it's so interesting to see how kind of like modern times are being reflected in basically the most insignificant of ways. I don't think if you showed those two logos to anybody, just about anybody would look at them and and think, you know, the lowercase is a lot more inviting and a lot less off-putting than the caps. I barely well, even noticed that the caps were in caps in the first place. Yeah, it's it's a weird one. And like you, when I read that, I just kind of laughed. I'm like, is, is a font really being exclusionary here? Is that what the issue is? But... I mean, you say that you don't care, and I clearly don't care, but I mean, someone must care, right? I mean, if all these companies are doing this, there's got to be that like one person in a hundred that this actually makes a difference to. And I guess when you just multiply that over the massive sample size of, you know, soccer audiences, then it's enough to make a difference. I have to think it must be. This, this well, can't just all be chasing nothing, right? And... What's particularly interesting about that is when you take these kind of this handful of like, you know, we talk about tournaments and broadcast groups. If we go and look at the clubs themselves that were mentioned previously, right? Mm -hmm. There are some very, very intriguing cases of like the motives behind the rebrand that we see that are put out by club statements or by designers that that commission them. So so I guess I, I'd be interested in starting with Juventus and sharing with you some stuff that I found that I just, you know, Juventus basically started off Again, this is the most the, the iteration of their logo prior to the current one. It was like this oval shape. It had the classic like black and white stripes. It had a crown towards the bottom with another badge. It had the name Juventus through the center kind of curved and with this yellow kind of ribbon beneath it. And a couple of years ago, they they did the whole streamlining thing again where they it looks kind of like a button in a sense on in the old Juventus logo. Kind of like a little, you know, it looks like it could be something that would actually be three-dimensional. And now they like, everything is, you know, the Juventus name is flat. It's straight. It's got a white J and then kind of like a outline to the J that makes it look like a badge in a sense. Um, and it's entirely two-dimensional. There are two lines in the entire logo, basically, aside from Juventus. Yep. And it's just this total, total stripping away of all complexity into something that what the the people that were involved in this kind of said was like an effort to make this a a brand. That was what they really pushed. It's like it's not just yeah. Juventus. It's like the brand. Yeah. And I, I, I read an article about this. I think the same one you read. And it. It wasn't even about being like a football brand. The the idea was to be, I think the word they used was a brand that transcends football. You know, something that yeah. is trying to put it into the wider entertainment industry. And Juventus have actually done this, I think, and, and done like a bunch of weird kind of like cross-industry stuff since doing this brand and trying to get their name out there a bit more, um, which I'm sure you could look up if you're interested in a couple weird examples of that. But um, it kind of worked, though. And the... The logo, you know, a, a lot of people hated this when it came out. But I was oh, I definitely did. I wasn't one Interesting. of those people. I really liked it. I I think it looks good. You know, I think for what it is, as as a logo, as what they're trying hmm. to do, as just like being like an objectively nice looking, identifiable, you know, piece of art. 
it's really nice. And I, I'm someone who, when this came out a few years ago, I think it was 2016, maybe, I, I hadn't really started watching a ton of Serie A yet at that point in my life. I didn't have a huge emotional connection to Juventus. You know, so the, the old logo didn't really mean anything to me. And so right. just like a purely, purely subjective, like just looking at it, I'm like, yeah, maybe I like this new one better. And, and that's just me too. I kind of like this whole minimalistic style. But that, that's just personal taste, I suppose. I mean, that's kind of cool to hear because I think their intent with this was to basically, you know, Juventus is based in Turin, which is in Italy, which is a mm. fashion kind of center of the world in some in some eyes. Oh, it and sure is. Yeah. One, of, one of the big things here, right, with rebranding is that I think more so than ever, there's been kind of this rise of streetwear and fashion kind of and its intersection mm. with the clubs themselves with 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 football itself and so one evident thing here was that they were kind of modeling there was a quote that said basically if you look at the identity of juventus the stark simplicity of it lines up much better with a gucci monogram or a nike swoosh than it does with very elaborate legacy driven football crests and so yeah. your 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 kind of comment on like this is just a simplistic work of art I think is intriguing because it's taking an entirely different angle on what this is supposed to represent, right? You think about Nike or you think about Adidas. Those are things that are like inherently made to be put on clothes and they're inherently designed. Yeah. Like the Nike logo doesn't mean anything as far as I'm concerned, aside from the fact that it's just on literally everything. It's one of the most global brands in the world. Mm -hmm. the, the crest of these clubs there is the the fact that they're supposed to be on jerseys, but they're also put on a bunch of other things typically, you know, and they're put on, you know, they're, they're, they're on the stadium and they're in different spots in, in, yeah. I don't even know, like throughout the culture. Well, you see them on the league table, like every week when you're looking at that sort of thing or the matchups, they're just kind exactly. of ever presence. Yeah. And so it's just intriguing to see this idea of transcending football, right. And to kind of appeal to the entertainment industry and to, to transition away from sporting culture into lifestyle, in a sense. And I think that that's, you know, it's about like an attitude. You know, it's not it's not necessarily about a, a, a club. It's about an attitude. It's about a, a feeling. And like, mm -hmm. if you look at the more recent Inter Milan Internazionale, like transition, mm -hmm. it, it's kind of an interesting similar thing where... They, they had what was a very, very traditional look to their yeah. logo. It's like mm -hmm. a basic carbon copy from their the logo that they had back in 1908 to 1928, just with some slight color changes. Yeah. And they took that and like chose colors that were in theory, like more modern, more bold. They, they used to have they basically what they used to have was this FCIM superimposed onto each other in the center of this logo. That mm -hmm. realistically, if you look at it, it's kind of hard to make out what it is. But if you know what you're looking for, you can find it. And yep. they took out FC in the most recent kind of edition of it. And it's just I am now. And that transition kind of speaks to this idea that it's like, yeah, we're not doing the football club thing anymore. It's Inter Milan. It's I am, you know, I am this, whatever yeah. you want to make of that, like I am thing. And so I, I'm, not, I'm not shows. sure how much I like an Italian football club rebranding around an English slogan either. That just feels a little off to me in general. Right. I mean, that, that's kind of this whole globalization thing we're going to get into in a bit. But. 
Well, what are your thoughts on the globalization thing? Maybe we can dive into that right now. Like, like how do you see this through that lens? Well, I think this, I mean, this is aimed towards globalization. I don't think these rebrands, you know, the, the same The same thing I said about the Super League back in episode one applies. I didn't think the Super League was targeted at people who are already fans of those clubs. I think it was targeted at bringing in new people. And I think this is the same thing. I don't think these rebrands are really meant to, you know, make make the established fans of the club happy. I think they're intended to be kind of a brighter packaging that maybe when new people are getting introduced to the sport, you know, as it globalizes are going to be, oh, like that Juventus logo is kind of clean. Like maybe I'll support them. Speaking yeah. of new people being introduced into clubs, I have annotated here a particularly hilarious case, in my opinion, which is that of Vincent Tan, the, the oh, owner yeah. or... Or maybe it's the former owner at this point. I don't know. I don't oh, really, he not, he not, still owns them, uh, I believe. Yeah. I'm not a Cardiff City fan by any means, yeah. but this is Harry, just hilarious. Harry Wilson plays for them. Liverpool Loney scores some great free kicks once in a while. I, I'm sure. I'm sure he's happy. He's wearing red, or at least, well, maybe now they changed back. Maybe you can mention that. I guess. Like the the mm. idea here again is like Cardiff City was this club that was defined by this blue color, the stadium, the crest, like. The, the jerseys, everything. They were called the Bluebirds. And this owner, Vincent Tan, came in and basically he bought the club that was nicknamed the Bluebirds. Again, this is a quote from Johnny Sharples on Twitter. He said, Vincent Tan bought a club nicknamed the Bluebirds and changed their blue kit, blue crest, and blue seats in the Bluebirds stadium to red. And so you have this juxtaposition of this blue crest and everything and he literally looked at the color wheel and he thought to himself what is the <laughs> furthest thing i can find from blue what can i do to make the most significant change and he changed it to this i mean you can tell that like in the former logo there was a little red dragon in the corner and they basically took that and ran with it and it's just all red and they have this like fire and passion thing well, the, on the crest the reason wasn't just trying to find a different color is because red is a very uh, big color in asia which is the market he was trying to appeal to really yeah that was the reason that's for it. interesting yeah i well, think he, I did, that... he might have done something weird um with with the number four or the number eight i know four is very unlucky in some asian cultures and eight is lucky but he did something weird with the player and a shirt number i'll have to look that up and maybe i no can way. tell that story in a minute uh, i mean but that's the globalization piece right there isn't it it's this idea that yeah. we've got the we've got influences from outside of the you know the these cities these towns on the ground that are kind of coming in and making changes and if you look at the owner groups ownership groups for a lot of these clubs things have been moving and shaking a little bit there's a lot of foreign influence there's a lot of this interest in kind of taking a, a club and exposing it to a different audience and you know I, I'll, I'll i'll finish off here with one final example that i thought was also just hilarious um in, in speaking about a lot of these clubs that are obviously like they do this rebrand and everybody gets mad and all the people in the club are like, why'd you do this? It looks terrible. Mm -hmm. We hate, we hate this. It's not traditional. So Leeds United back. I have to check back in, in January of 2018, they, they posted a tweet that basically went as follows. They said our new crest, six months of research, 10,000 people consulted ready for the next hundred years, which mind you, like that's a bold statement. Yeah. I, like, I challenge you to find any club logo that has lasted unchanged for a hundred years. It's very <laughs> difficult, but it's not only that it's this, I, it's this proclamation of like six months of research, yeah. 10,000 people consulted. Like this is some sort of like, you know, qualifying thing that like, Hey guys, this logo is good. This thing's going to work. Yeah. 
And they changed the standard leads crest, which I, I don't really know the significance of the little piece, bits and pieces there, to this image of like, it's a badge, it's got Leeds United, and then it's got like a, a person, presumably, that has their hand kind of, yeah, like strewn across their, their chest with a fist near their heart. And the idea is it's like celebrating fans at the heart of our identity. And it's like, okay, all right. And what was super ironic about this, right, despite the six months of research and the 10,000 people consulted, basically this release was followed immediately after. I got this from the guys at Football Shirt Collective. There was a 50,000 person, like signature long petition that nicks this in the bud. So it's like 10,000 people consulted, 50,000 people opposed. And it literally like that disappeared and so so basically yeah there's just all these examples there's examples in the united states with other sports too you know i know that you you maybe follow like maybe the nfl a little bit more than i do or being Uh, in illinois maybe you follow the team there a little bit more there's been recent situations happening there as well um yeah i i can't speak too much on the nfl and before uh, we got too far away from Vincent Tan. I did look it up, and there were reports that he used to, uh, you know, pressure the club to sign players with the number eight in their birthday somewhere. Oh, so I who knows that. if that's true or not? But it was a story. You know, believe what you will. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, uh, the the American League I can speak a lot about is the NBA because I watched that, and that's a league where I mean rebrands are very common, and this is something I kind of wanted to uh, touch back on now with the, with the moving too. Cause I mean, it's, right. it's very common for teams to move as well in American sports. I think that's a huge difference between uh, kind of American logos and these football club logos. Cause you know, there's, there's this idea that like, okay, like, you know, you have the Toronto Raptors, but that's really more about the Raptors part of it than does the Toronto. Like that team could just theoretically get up and leave and move to a new city at any time. And that's not that's not true in soccer. You know, in soccer, you're you're kind of selling Liverpool less than you're selling the team, because because they're they're more stationary. It kind of speaks to the whole mascots thing too. If we kind of are gonna, yeah, I think it's interesting to maybe take this into in the direction of like identity, right? And I think what you're saying is very interesting. When I think of teams in the NBA, I think you're right. I think of like their, you know, what is it even called? Like their their uh, their yeah, their mascot. Like I, I think of like the Spurs yeah. instead of San Antonio, which is the basketball team that I supported when I was younger. Like I think of the Bulls more so than I think of Chicago. I think of the Cavs more than I think of Cleveland, and those are probably even examples that are pretty closely linked to this to the cities. Like the Thunder. Yeah. I don't really think of Oklahoma City ever. I've, Oklahoma City yeah. has never crossed my mind. Yeah, well, I mean, ten years ago they were in Seattle and they had a different name. So the Supersonics. It's, it's it's kind of hard to keep track. Um, and I, I want to talk about the logos now in the NBA for a bit, since that, that is what this episode is supposed to be about. I mean, the NBA has like very, very clean logos across the board. Um, hmm. They're kind of all this kind of Juventus-style rebrand where they're trying to be a bit more minimalist. Maybe not quite as much, because instead of having a letter, they'll have a little you know drawing of an animal with angles or something. But hmm. I mean, on the whole, they're they're a lot more in that kind of new minimalist style than what you normally get with football clubs, which again are you know kind of had their origins in being like the coat of arms for a city, and not just being like a one mascot team that can move from town to town. It's a very different thing. They look uh, good too, and they look they, especially they look good. Really good. 
they look especially good when they're all juxtaposed. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like all put together, all next to one another, it looks very cohesive. It looks like a league, you know, like these look like a bunch of different animals fighting in the animal kingdom. You know what I'm saying? Like mm -hmm. they've all, they've all got kind of this homogenous look. And then one thing that I think is kind of interesting that was mentioned in the article in the sports illustrated article about the, the Columbus change was that that was something that people were kind of noticing about this Columbus transition. And if you look at the MLS, there are some very interesting trends in terms of teams that have either newly been introduced to the league or teams that have done recent rebrands of their logos Yeah, in which you see a lot of this. We talked about minimalism a little bit. You see not only minimalism, but you see like this, a lot of these, a lot of these logos have a lot of like black in them as like mm -hmm. the foundational color. Um, Strauss mentioned in that article that, a lot of these teams have now chosen to kind of do away with their more eccentric Jersey colors even and approach kind of this blackout kit that is very obviously like fashionable and sleek and cool and, and, and minimalist and same sort of thing. And when you look at the transition, you see kind of more of that homogeneity and it's kind of represented in the NBA handful of logos too. Yeah, I think it is very representative of the NBA. I mean, if you looked at 29 NBA logos, you could probably guess what the 30th one's going to look like. There's there's a pretty set style. Um, but there are a couple teams that break the style. Hmm. And I want to talk about that. I mean, if you look at all the NBA logos next to each other, there's a few that really stand out and look a lot older, a lot more dated than all of the other ones. Okay. And those three are Boston Celtics, Los Angeles Lakers, New York Knicks. And even if you're not familiar with basketball, even if you don't watch the NBA, you probably know all three of those teams. I mean, those interesting are some of the oldest teams. And in fact, this is really interesting. Boston, or the Celtics and the Knicks are the only two NBA teams that are still in their original city, which is kind of you're insane. kidding, yep. really. But they're but there's and there's such, I think, historic teams, too, yeah. right? Like historically, I don't know with regards to how many titles each team has or whatever, but like, like a whole lot. Yeah, you I well, mean, you Celtics, look at like the Celtics and the Lakers have a lot. The Knicks, not very many, but they got theirs early. So they have a lot of history. But that, right. that is what this is about. It's, you know, these, you know, we're trying to still associate with the Bill Russell Celtics, you know, back in the 60s, they won 11 titles in 13 years. So it's OK if you keep the old thing, because that history is such an integral part of the club or the, the team or the franchise or whatever you want to call it. Well, and linking linking a, an organization to the nostalgia of former players is maybe an entirely separate conversation too. Where you think about logos and you think about like you know, I, I'm sure we could play this game where you could maybe I could flash a logo on the screen and it's maybe an older logo and ask you like, what's the yeah. first player that comes to mind when you see this? And a lot of these more like older kind of logos, you have like an instant kind of memory that pops into your mind, you know, and yeah. with with teams like that, like, yeah, I, I might be wrong here, but like Patrick Ewing was a Nick. Yeah, he sure who was. is one of the greatest players of all time. Like you've got this long uh, list mm, of like Kareem one, but, all right. and, and, and Kobe and like Shaq and all these guys that played for the Lakers that it's almost like for them, there's no incentive to move on past that image because they kind of want to hold on to that past. Yeah, I mean, especially if you're, I mean, the Lakers and the Knicks, especially. I mean, the Lakers won the championship last year once they got LeBron that. But I mean, those are teams that have not been successful in the past 10 years on the whole. 
So, I mean, getting getting that kind of boost of, you know, not having people associate you with, you know, the current bad team, but instead having the old logo from the old days and having just a bit of that rub off on you might be nice. I guess when we think about that identity, that that core thing that you were just mentioning there about history and stuff is maybe something that we'll get into in the second half. And, and as we try to kind of rationalize why these kind of... Um, rebrands may actually be effective kind of trying to scrub the surface a little bit and figure out like are there actual legitimate reasons why this would work mm -hmm. but i guess i want to dive into maybe the more yeah philosophical corner of this that's less tangible and just kind of ask like a lot of a lot of this right is is all about identity I, i've mentioned this a couple of times but i really want to get to the to discuss this you know these logos are symbolic of a group of of a collective and so I guess I'm wondering, like to you, whether it be in the context of soccer, whether it be in the context of logos, or maybe outside of that, you can extrapolate. Like, why is identity so important? Why why do people get so frustrated and upset when identity ostensibly changes? What are your thoughts on that? I think, I mean, I mean in terms of a logo or something like that, the identity of a brand, I think is most important with familiarity. I think that's what's most important about it. I don't think what's in the actual logo matters very much. I mean, maybe there's exceptions where like your logo can't just be complete garbage, but like if it's okay, then over time people just start associating more and more positive memories with it. And it just becomes kind of this like beacon for nostalgia. Hmm. Right? So it's like a legacy thing. Yeah. I think it's completely about legacy and I don't know. Uh, what, what was the exact question you asked me again? So I, I know what oh, you're talking about. Yeah, just like just like why so so I think your point is, is excellent. I think this yeah. idea that this image is a is a, is motions towards things that we remember, right? It's like a yeah. recall thing. It's like you see it and you think to yourself, Oh, I remember back when you know it was oh six and I was watching this game with my family on the couch and we scored this goal and whatnot. In terms of like, I guess the original question was, yeah, like, why is that any important? Maybe we can go beyond just like a sports team, but like, why is that any important for players? Why isn't identity important for teams? You know, like I've, I've had a situation with a, with a team that I coached at some point um, where one of the biggest qualms was we had this players meeting and we asked the guys like, you know, what are your biggest frustrations from the past year in a very kind of informal environment to try to gauge how people were feeling and the biggest thing was like oh well like the, the team has no identity we have no style we have no you know maybe what would be more formally called like a game model right and and i spent a lot of time thinking about like why why is that important i'm curious like why do you think that carries significance well i mean identity is crucial especially for a big group of people you know kind of having that united shared goal is just, I mean, uh, it goes without saying that that's just massive. But I mean, I, I think in terms of logos, though, like, you know, you gave the example of what happened to you last season. It's like giving your team a new logo would not have solved any of that, right? If, if you don't right. have the identity there, then you can't just manufacture it by changing your brand and saying, oh, we're about this now, right? That doesn't really do anything. I think that's one of the things that a lot of people have qualms with generally too, is like when you do a rebrand, one of the things that if you, if you look up on, on Google, you know, how to successfully rebrand that you'll get a bunch of corny articles that'll tell you a bunch of crap. But one of the themes throughout it 
is like you have to somehow have some sort of grounding principle right that's driving the reason yeah. why you're changing the facade of the company of the group of the organization of the team and, yeah. and, and that's it has to be something visible too it has to be something that kind of actually changes in what you know that group or that company is offering alongside the rebrand i think a change in character has to accompany it or else it's just going to be seen as kind of a shallow gesture what might what what do you what, okay so you mentioned a change in character what might like that look like for a club well for a club i think it's hard to say i i, I was talking with the examples of just companies you know like a brand like apple might undergo a logo rebrand and then change the character of the products they're selling at the same times but that's kind of why these rebrands in football are just so weird to me. It's that these teams cannot change what they're offering, you know, regardless of what logo they have, it's going to be the same group of players, probably the same manager, you know, just, just they're a soccer team, right? They're not offering a different service. They're not doing anything drastically different. It's like how, how much below the service level could that logo change actually go? So it's kind of like if the, if the aesthetic, alterations are disingenuous then you can't get traction because yeah. people expect that if you're changing something there's actual change to be be held and people like change when they feel like it means something but they don't like change when they feel like someone's you know they they went into the they, there's a bunch of people in a boardroom that are paid a ton of money to make big decisions for the club and one day they went in there and it was silent and everyone was eating their donuts and their coffee and one intern in the back of the room chimed in and said, well, you know what, guys? F let's just do a rebrand. And everybody was like, yeah, rebrand, rebrand. And it became this buzzword. And everybody was like, yeah, rebrand. That's the type of thing that I think raises eyebrows. Like, do you think that could possibly ever work? Well, I think rebrand for the sake of rebranding? Well, I think there's only one reason that companies choose to rebrand, and that's to get people to buy new stuff. It's trying to get people to get stuff with the newer logos on this. I think that's very clear. And I think you see that, um, you know, logos don't get changed very often in soccer. But one thing that does get changed very often is the kits. And you get a new one of those every single year. There's, you know, often changes, but not really. And the idea is just, okay, look, we have this new thing that has these new stripes on it. You got to go get this. So you don't look out of date. I think that's kind of what's at the core of rebrands too. It, it's balancing. It, it's a difficult balance for these companies to strike. Cause like I talked about, there's a lot of value in nostalgia and like what this old logo uh, means to you. But at the same time, there is kind of that driving force behind, oh, this is the new thing. I got to get that. So I think a lot of companies are kind of, and maybe a lot of clubs too, are trying to kind of perform a little balancing act or they're just trying to, figure out just how much money we can get out of changing our logo back and forth a few times. That financial focus is certainly something that I think we can dive into a little bit more in the second half, but I think it's yeah. a good time to go ahead and grab our water. And I think so. And if we, if we cut it off here right after you swore, then that's going to make my job easier later. So I'll, I'll be happy with that. Let's go ahead and do it. All right. All right. We'll call it half. Yep. That's going to sound really bad right before the two real whistles. <laughs> All right. This is the real one. What's up, guys? And welcome back to the Triple Threat Podcast. We're back after halftime. I can't stand you. <laughs> yeah.
This triple threat podcast crap needs to stop. I'm telling you right now, we're not rebranding the podcast, William. <laughs> Wait, did, did I say triple threat? You said triple threat, like oh unironically God. again. I, I genuinely did not even mean to that time. Well, and what's what's funny <laughs> with that specifically is that when I was thinking and like read and writing out this whole outline for like logos and branding and stuff for this, I was thinking to myself when I made the original TT logo, like you know this the symbolism and the different things that I tried to capture about the city in which it was based, and my entire goal <laughs> of making that TT logo was just to do something cool and fun and make something unique, and. Mm-hmm. It's got the two T's in it. We added the superimposed soccer net to it. And I think it looks baller, but like it, it does look pretty good, I think. But it has none of this like significance. And like, I don't know. I think to myself, like I, I don't know. I was, I was like seeing all these crests that carried all this weight. And then I was like, yeah, look at the um, just utter randomness with which I sat at my desk and thought to myself, okay, I need to make a logo. And the first thing that came to mind is what I went with. And give it a hundred years and people will love it, Martin. Yes. And then when I try to change it, then we'll hear some outcry. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Um, but Probably not, but, but maybe. <laughs> I don't know. We're, we're not hearing much of anything from these people right now. So I, I yeah, don't think have, that's going to change. We failed to get any comments on Spotify. So, I mean, wherever you are, guys, like quit hiding and go ahead and light will up we we still haven't seen any tweets at will yeah anything to say that he's cursing too much in the episodes i think that would be greatly appreciated on my end yeah if you guys don't start tweeting at martin i'm going to give out his home address in the next episode of the podcast (laughs) you know that's part of the reason that's part of the reason why this car guy is getting all pissed off at me is that he asked me for my personal details and i refused to give them to him and he uh-huh. proceeded to send me a picture of his driver's license saying, see, no big deal. What's the big secret? And I told him, I said, listen, man, I'm not going to I'm not going to just give you my personal info if I haven't even seen you via FaceTime or anything. So go ahead yeah. and do me a favor and don't expose me. Maybe he listens to the pod. Yeah. Historically, people have sent you pictures of other things to prove their identity on your phone. But, uh... I have no idea what to say to that. I wonder if that's something that we're going to have to bleep out or if we're going to have to give context to. What do you think? I think maybe we can just leave that for the one person (laughs) who might listen and understand that joke. Sam, if you're out there and you remember the old Craigslist prank that you and Will pulled back in high school. Oh, my God. Let's just say that that I really I, I received an onslaught of illicit images from random people on the Internet because. Well, I don't know why. You, we, we oh never yeah, figured you know it why? Out. Yeah. <laughs> because um, <clears throat> back before Craigslist was used to sell used vehicles and scam people like myself, they had some shadier sides to it where there were other goods and services you could sell. And Will put an ad, a fake ad up for me way back in the day. And that was prompted with a lot of you know. uh, immediate reaction. So those are the images that he's alluding to. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a good advertiser. I, I put, a, put a good logo out there for what I was trying to get. And I guess people you got the fan response. Yeah. Yep. So, um, getting back to logos, which I guess is, <laughs> I guess is what we're supposed to be talking about here. Reeling um, it back in. Yeah, we, we talked a lot in the first half about logos and how they kind of try to sum up a team's identity, but maybe they don't do it so well sometimes. So, I mean, 
And Martin, you asked me this, so, and it was a really hard question. I didn't really know what to say. I'm hoping you have a better answer prepared, but I mean, why is this kind of identity just important to you, do you think? Yeah, so I, I guess the, the thing that I was thinking about when we were discussing this episode preliminarily was this idea that in, in football, one of the beautiful things is that nothing is really tangible. Right, like with sport in general, it's it's all kind of this construct that we create and we partake in and we give value to. And the value that we get out of the experience that we attribute to this thing is basically in large part a function of the passion and the investment that we put into it. And the fact of the matter is, like you mentioned earlier, kind of like comparing a football team or the style of the players and whatever as like a good or a service or as a product really that like these multinational conglomerates are now like looking to sell to people if you make it yeah. in a really kind of you know sad like n like nihilistic kind of approach but well that's the world now that's just what it is so i agree i i mean yeah. the, the the question basically becomes like it's it's just it's just not it, it can be people can try to make it as much of a product as, as they want to make it but it still kind of isn't it's still something that has this kind of nothingness to it and it's one of the things that i don't know i find really elegant about football i think i'm currently at a point in my career where i'm trying to evaluate whether i want to pursue more tangible things or pursue something that really carries like i'm saying now no significance no theoretically tangible significance yet it impacts so many people in such a intriguingly profound way and such a such a, like you mentioned memories and nostalgia and you know we've seen recently like the fa cup final with leicester and chelsea like a bunch of fans back in the stands and just like the reactions of people and the cheering and the booing all of these emotions for something that at the end of the day is just a game is very beautiful well, to me. It's emotion. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's kind of what they're selling if I have to take a big step back. I mean, it's, uh, I completely agree with what you're saying. I mean, there's there's this idea that, you know, soccer is just a sport and you hear all these people now saying, oh, like, why is there this much money in football? We should be spending this on other things that need it. But like, the money's there because, I mean, this this means so much to so many people, to millions and millions of people. I mean, this this is, you know, the thing that's brightening their weekend, the thing they look they're looking forward to the whole time they're at work. I mean, it's it's everything. And like I said, the Super League, like sadly, the world we live in now, like the people that own these clubs, like they've got us hooked. Like no one's no one's gonna stop watching soccer. It's just too good. It's too good a product. Well, I, I think I agree with that. I think that. Um... Yeah, it's irresistible. It's mass market. It's like this transcendent product that, again, is wispy and carries no weight. It's like the dollar. It's it's a, the dollar is a rag that everybody buys into and it agrees that it has value. Mm -hmm. Like this is a bunch of dudes or dudettes, Christ, like Jesus. kicking a ball around. <laughs> Never it's thought a I'd use that word. It's a shame you already used up your 12. sensor because you <laughs> dudettes probably don't might want have to go. You probably don't want to be on record saying that. Uh, um, let's you're say guys, be. guys and gals, um, dudes and dudettes, man. <laughs> but so okay, <laughs> it's 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 a ball that people kick around the field. It truly, truly carries no significance, and yet it has an incredible impact on so many things, on so many people's livelihood. Traditionally, there's this idea that like yeah, the working class 
goes and toils in the factory all week and then they all join together in this communal experience they do the kind of like the 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 what's it called like the collective walk to the to the stadium you know like the and and so the idea is just this yeah like it means nothing but the symbolism and the outward expression of what like each of us interprets it means to be a fan of each respective club is what gives it any value and and that kind of ties into something that is very real. We mentioned this also with the Super League episode, like very real for fans that don't live in the place in which those clubs exist, right? Just like you and me. Yeah. That in essence, like we've been fans of our respective clubs for a long time. We put a lot, I mean, like my room is decorated with all sorts of Barcelona paraphernalia. Like I cheer for them every weekend. I watch the games. I, I argue with all of my friends and roommates that are Real Madrid fans. And and it's and it's a really kind of absurdist thing to say, but it's a really real thing to talk about, which is this idea that like the team that I ended up supporting was pretty largely serendipitous. And I know that might sound kind of like absurdist and grotesque to somebody else. And and there's a lot of people that will look at their own club and be like, and they look at their rival and they're like, oh, I could simply I'm disgusted by them. They like recoil at the thought of anybody even liking the other team. Mm-hmm. But what's 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 really, really important, I think, to recognize is like just as easily as I am a fan of Barcelona, I could have just as easily been a fan of Real Madrid. I see that in my own household. My roommate is a fan of Real Madrid. I'm a Barcelona fan like that. If I'm going to be totally honest about the universe, that those things could have been very easily switched, flipped. And and yeah. because of that serendipity in that team selection or the team that you feel as though you identify with again for the millions and millions of people billions of people around the world that affiliate themselves with the club but don't live in that you know community that that is in like encapsulated by the organization the the interesting thing there is like yeah the the all the value that comes with my barcelona fandom comes with what i interpret it means to be a fan for sure of that club yeah you have to kind of build it up for yourself. And there's there's a lot of stuff there to help you. You know, there's a lot of established narratives about the club and what it means. But when you're at that distance and kind of picking a team, then yeah, you have to do a lot of that legwork on your own. And uh, I mean, it was the same way for me. I mean, like Martin, and you know, if we have any European listeners, like one thing that I think maybe isn't understood is like in Europe, you know, it's very easy to support a local club. Right. If you live in England, there's going to be a club that's probably one of the league tiers that's like 20 minutes away from you. Right. And, you know, here in Midwestern United States, that is just not the case at all. You know, there's it's there's cornfields. No, there's no kind of professional soccer anywhere close to here. I mean, the the nearest club teams are in a city that's more than two hours away that I feel like I have no real connection to. Right. And so, it's been bad for a long time. And it's it been bad for a long time. So when I'm eight years old or nine years old, I'm not going to. You know, I, I don't have the means to go be a part of a local club. So, yeah, like you said, you just have to kind of pick something. And, you know, I, I picked Liverpool, you know, like you said, pretty serendipitously, pretty much by chance. You know, I turned on one of the first soccer games I ever watched. And it was like the Liverpool-Chelsea game back in like 2009, 2010. Like Fernando Torres scored two goals and Liverpool won. And, and you're like, like, oh, I'm yeah, like, I'm, I'm hooked. That guy has cool hair. Like, I like the color red. They got a pretty cool logo. I was in and that's all it took to hook me. All right. And, and like you said, I mean, once, once I'm in now, you know, 10, 11 years on, you know, I, I built up all these narratives about what it means to be a Liverpool fan, like what values I, I kind of ascribe to the club. 
But if Chelsea had won that match back then in 2009, I could have Maybe easily been be different. Today. I, I know I mentioned, I mentioned the, the, the fact that within the Premier League, I kind of side with Manchester City in our very first episode too. And I don't think that I, I actually justified that. And so for anybody who is still regarding that initial comment with scorn, my, my situation was very similar. Like I, when I was getting into high school, I had a bunch of friends. No one watched La Liga. Everybody watched the Premier League, including yourself, for instance. And yeah. we, everybody kind of had a team and we were lucky that it, within our group, I don't think there was a single person that overlapped. Really? Like we had a Chelsea fan, an Everton had, fan, a Liverpool fan. We had two fan. Chelsea fans. Um, oh, that's right. That's right. And we, we had a lot of United fans, but um, most of them didn't actually care about soccer all that much, which is maybe a little bit telling about the state United were in at that time. But <laughs> Basically, what ended up happening was like I kind of arrived on the at, at school and everybody had this group they supported. And so I looked at the Premier League. And I looked for things that, yeah, I identified with. It was this whole identity concept. And I looked at Manchester City and I saw a club that had a bunch of Argentine players. They had Zabaleta, they had Demichelis, they had Aguero, Tevez. They eventually had Caballero, who maybe isn't really like a, you know, an emblem of Argentine football. But like, not to you, maybe, but he <laughs> exemplifies it pretty well for me. But <laughs> he's a he's a bald icon for me as someone who's losing my hair at the ripe age of 22. But I mean, I, I think I saw that and I saw, like you said, the colors were very reminiscent. That light blue is very reminiscent of the Albiceleste Argentine strip. And I saw a lot of players that I knew. I saw a lot of players that spoke the language that my parents spoke. And I thought to myself, you know what? This is the one. This is the club. This is the one that I want to support. And yeah. you're right. Over the course of time, people have their own narratives that they've spun about Manchester City. And the, you know, I, I wasn't around during the Alfie Holland era. I was around when Yaya Toure was tearing it up. And then we signed oh. Wilfred Bonney and we had company, but then we moved to John Stones before he came, became good. And then we had no fullbacks for the better part of half a decade. You know, like and, that's what I had a lot of fullbacks. With. Yeah. <laughs> and then we overloaded on fullbacks. We overcompensated. And, you know, so for me, that was a similar thing, but it all came back to identity. It all came back to, you know, what does this team represent to me? And even now, like when Pep Guardiola came and joined that club, it became a symbol of like, this is quality soccer. I enjoyed watching them. I got a lot of pleasure out of seeing them do something that I thought was elegant. And it's all identity. It's if you, if you want to slice this with regards to the aesthetic outer shell of any club, or you want to talk about, we mentioned Atletico again, once again, alluding to the Super League episode, we mentioned Atletico as a club that their style very much embodies the working class gritty culture that they kind of like, their fan base is is defined by in yeah. contrast to Real Madrid's like very regal, like they have a crown, it's Royal Madrid, you know, yeah. and each person kind of takes what they want from that identity and figures out how to make it their own and creates yeah. this image of what it represents to be a part of it. Yeah, they do over time, but at the start, and I, I know, I know to anyone who, you know, has a family who's supported the same club for generations and, you know, maybe lives in the city that the club's in, this all sounds horribly soulless and well, we just don't care. But I mean, it's just, it's the reality for people who live where we do. There's just no other option. This is how it's going to be determined is just what, what catches your eye first at a young age. And the truth is that as soccer globalizes, this is going to be the case for more and more kids, you know, as it reaches more and more people who historically have absolutely no tie to any of these teams. 
then you know it's going to be about branding and that's why these teams are trying to create more attractive logos is that so they can catch the eyes of those you know eight nine-year-olds who are watching soccer for the first time maybe watching their first game you mentioned the whole fernando torres thing scoring really grabbing your attention i think one kind of facet to all of this is the idea of individualism is the idea of uniqueness and the notion that you know fernando torres did something on that day that really set him apart like, yeah. how, how how did that factor into your like young wide eyes being allured by what we were seeing on the screen and thinking to yourself like you had to pick right you had to pick between liverpool and and, and chelsea yeah. in that moment and something drew to liverpool like what was that thing i mean it it, it was torres and I mean, if I'm being honest, I really picked Torres more than I picked Liverpool at the start. I mean, I was just very drawn to him. And I mean, for the first couple of years, I supported the team. He was far and away my favorite player. Right? I, I became a huge Spain fan during the World Cup a little bit after that because he played on that team. And I, I bought a Spain flag and I, I was a, really pulling for them that whole tournament. And then you changed your entire citizenship because of one goal, huh? Two goals. It was a brace. Almost, yeah. It was a brace, I think. It was a 2-1 win. He got them both. Um, and, you know, I, I kind of grew to like Liverpool more over the years and it's like kind of the rest of the players a bit more once I got to know them. And then, you know, the, the moment that really shifted this and made me kind of like fully a Liverpool fan, not a Torres fan, is, of course, when Torres left and went to Chelsea. And that broke my young heart. I didn't even know like something like that could happen at that time. Betrayal. Uh, but... You know, I didn't really care all that much about Sterling and Suarez and Coutinho. So maybe it prepared me for those sales. So that's something, <laughs> I guess. I think uh, the, the the question that I want to kind of get into from the identity point is this notion that identity, right, kind of also motions to this concept of individualism and the fact that you buy into a culture, but you buy into a culture that also in some sort of antagonistic sense is different than others, or it's better than others. You do something in a more righteous way than others. Yeah. Few, few, few people will buy into a organization or a culture or any sort of group. If they don't feel as though that group is different and that it's worth being a part of. Yeah. And I don't think anyone's going to be, too successful of the model, you'll never walk alone either or something like that, right? That ground's already been tread. These teams have got to find kind of their own niche to target at this point. Well, I guess for, for you, I'm curious, why, why do you think that that individualism is so important? Like, why do you perceive the uniqueness factor being something that's so pivotal and, and, you know, it's kind of counterintuitive seeing all these clubs that are rebranding and we'll obviously get into this maybe in a little bit and going away from things that are so, you know, identify so identifiably theirs into something that's maybe more gelling with the group and more gelling with the league. But I think that, you know, when I think about Barcelona versus and Real Madrid, I think of what it means to be a Barcelona fan and why that is distinct from what it means to be a Real Madrid fan. And I think of arrogance as things that are attributed to feel people that support Los Blancos, or I think of the, the counterattacking style of play versus the possession style of play, or I think of the Galacticos era. And I think about, you know, Pep and all of our great players and their players who, you know, ours were better than theirs in some sense or another, but it's all, it's all a justification, you know, and that's like what you buy yeah. into. And it's a justification you make afterwards too, because 
I mean, all, all Barca fans, or not not all the Barca fans. I mean, there's a lot, of course, who maybe had had family that brought them into it. But most of them, or a fair amount of them, would have like made a decision to start supporting Barca at some time. And, and like for you, you know, that's something that, that was when you were young. It's not at the point where you're even conscious of all these things, like oh, like Barca is you know the people's team, and Real Madrid is like the government's team, and stuff like that. And I, I think. Having that uniqueness is interesting because it, it makes it easier to kind of build those narratives in the way. If if all these clubs are actually doing something a little bit different, then maybe that makes it easier for you to kind of twist that in a way that, you know, justifies you being a supporter of this team and allows you to see, you know, oh, I'm, I'm an Aston Villa fan. Well, that that is unique in this way. And this makes me better than all these other teams that aren't doing this. It, I think it, it fortifies I think it, it fortifies the identity. Yeah. I mentioned earlier the idea that like players will often crave something that grounds them like principles on the field that are tangible, that are, you know, ways in which they know the team plays, right? If you look at your case for Liverpool, I feel like the identity has been strengthened over the last three, four or five years by this new like Gagan pressing heavy metal style that Klopp has introduced. And, and people, when they think of Liverpool, that is one of the first things that's co- that, that comes to mind too, is the way that they play. It's the way in which others don't, that they are capable of doing, right? It's the having three eights in the midfield, you know, it, yeah. it's identity. For sure. And and those things like get, get tied into the identity of clubs at certain times and for certain little periods. But I mean, in five years, that's something that's going to be gone. Probably the three eights and people won't associate it with Liverpool anymore. It's just, it's kind of a fleeting thing. And I think that kind of ties back into something you were talking about in the first part where people might associate, you know, different logos with uh, different players that played during those time periods. Maybe that's something that would happen too. Like you'd associate this logo with maybe the era that Liverpool played three eights. And then if we change our logo in five years, then you'd associate that with Curtis Jones, whatever we're doing then playing two fullbacks on each side, probably. I don't know. At this rate, I I, I think, we can take this in any, in a bunch of different, in a bunch of different ways. The one that I think is probably most compelling is this question of, you know, uniqueness. We, we alluded to this previously. Uniqueness has its value. It has its virtue, right? Where if you stand out in a crowd and you're looking to capture attention, that is an effective tactic. But mm-hmm. the intriguing kind of counterintuitive trend that we're seeing with the MLS specifically is kind of this, the, uh, like tendency to, try to become more homogenous. The, the phrasing that Strauss yeah. used in the Sports Illustrated article was really interesting and I enjoyed it. It was this idea of reverse entropy. It was like, instead of going from individualism and disorder, it's like the universe is just naturally, has a natural tendency to arrive at order and organization and similitude between all of the logos. They all have the same font. They all will have the yeah. same black background. All the kits will be black. And it's just like, it's the MLS. It's not each individual club. It's the major league soccer. So, so I guess, you know, what are your, th- yeah. What are your thoughts on that? Like, what are your thoughts on homogeneity versus uniqueness? What, what is more compelling? Why are, why does it seem like standing out is the way to capture attention yet? We've seen, we're seeing these clubs try to become more global brands by being more like their peers. Doesn't that seem kind of counterintuitive? Well, I don't know. I, I think the, MLS is a really good example to um, look at this with. And I think the other one is Juventus, because I think this comes down to what you're trying to sell in terms of what this is. Because the MLS is not trying to sell these individual teams. They're trying to sell the whole league, 
right? Because it's not a popular league right now. You know, right. The, this is a league that, you know, even in America does not get any kind of viewership numbers. You know, Liga MX has massively higher viewership numbers and all of the English leagues generally, I think, or all the European leagues rather, not all the English ones have higher viewership numbers as well. So for something like that, then maybe the homogeneity is a good thing where you can, you know, like the Super League, kind of make it a more attractive overall package. And, you know, if you can get this to be something that like kind of looks a bit more like the NBA and maybe has logos that are as nice as the NBA, then maybe more American kids are going to be interested in it from a younger age. I think what, what exactly, what exactly, okay, so I, I, I like that idea, but what exactly do you see as more appealing when you look at a collection of logos that have that kind of, it's clear that this is a league versus a bunch that are very individualistic? I don't know. Maybe, I, I guess I just assume kids like that sort of thing. I think kids kids like a lot of like variations on a theme. I don't know. I have a brother. He's eight years old. And like, I watch some of these shows, like, you know, what do people know? Like Power Rangers and stuff like that. <laughs> it's like yeah. the, Power, okay. the Power Rangers don't all look different. They all look the same and they have different colors. You know, hmm. it's nice. They're, they're easily identifiable, identifiable as a group. And there's just enough distinction in colors that you can kind of make out which ones are different. But that's it, interesting. It's kind of that idea where you sell you sell the group more than you sell the individual components that make it up. And then maybe that homogeneity makes it look like a stronger group because there's not these weird outlier clubs, I guess. I think that's quite a compelling argument, honestly. Yeah. Like one of the things that you mentioned Power Rangers. Yeah, like I don't know if I think yeah. about like all these kids shows where you have a bunch of characters like Teletubbies. You think of it as like the red one or the yellow one or whatever. Yeah, I don't know. For sure. I, like you identify it by something that's like very, very simple. And if you look at like, we have an image here of 10 MLS clubs up on our screens. You look at Columbus and it's very easy to be like, yeah, Columbus is like white, black, and yellow. Yeah. And Austin is green, white, black, and green. And Houston is white, black, and orange. And can I try the next one? Yes. Go for it. Uh, Charlotte is white, black, and blue. <laughs> Miami is white, black, and pink. Like yeah. that's the trend. That's the DC United is white, black, and red. Like it's almost it's almost painfully obvious what they're kind of trending towards. Yeah, and I, I wanted to get back. I mean, I said the MLS is kind of one side of this because they they are not kind of seeking to stand out as clubs. They are seeking to stand out as a league. I think kind of a complete opposite opposite side of this is Juventus, who are are not even trying to really stand out as a soccer club who are trying to stand out as something more than that, right? Their, their logo is something that's markedly different from everything else in Serie A, hmm. pretty much, except for maybe the Napoli logo, which I guess is, is maybe a early minimalist one itself. But they seem to be trying to kind of distance themselves from the league to look like there's something different, to look like there's something more, like there's a bigger well, brand behind this. What's kind of an interesting angle to look at that through is like if you consider the fact that like if you consider Juve's recent success in the league let's ignore this past season the debacle that it has it's been you look at the fact they've won they've won the last however many titles and they've been to however many Champions League finals like this is a team that is kind of right now for the current generation been the hallmark of what Serie A signifies and I don't know that maybe by virtue of there being more teams and there being like a split conference system and stuff in the MLS. I don't know that there's the same kind of emblematic MLS club that like has carried that same weight. But what I do think is intriguing is 
in for Juve's case, they are like very much the leader right now. They're like the the example. And they mm. felt the need to reinvent themselves in this sense, right? They signed Ronaldo. They changed the logo. They want to be a fashion brand. They want to do this whole thing. I think yeah. that if you look at the MLS, probably the most global and recognizable logo is the LA Galaxy by virtue yeah. of the fact that David Beckham has played there and Ibrahimovic and now Chicharito. Like they've done a good job of bringing in these kind of like former stars and trying to use yeah. that as a platform. But if you look at the LA Galaxy logo, they're not doing this. Nope. They're the only ones who haven't really. They're kind of like <laughs> the Lakers. And they're yeah. both from LA, so maybe that's something to say for it. But like, it why is a... that the case? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. For all we know, they're going to do it tomorrow. I mean, I, I think it's coming. I think they probably will switch it eventually. But yeah, I, I think you said it's the same the same thing as the Lakers, where they just they have that history. And the the player you didn't mention is Landon Donovan, who is the real kind of that's original right. Galaxy star that kind of got them on the map as the biggest team in the MLS. But at least domestically, yeah, yeah totally. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I, I think they're just hanging, hanging around with the old logo because it's got all that history behind it. But I wouldn't be surprised if it's gone soon, to be honest. I guess the point that I'm interested in is the fact that Juve definitely has a lot of history with Zidane and Nedved and, you know, yeah. all of this history. Like, I don't know, even recently, like Chiellini, just all these guys that came through the club that were like so... Inex inextricably linked with logos and the brands and like the black and white stripes and even now like they've reduced the logo to like one white side one black side because you know some people felt like their jerseys look too much like referee kits all this all this stuff yeah. right i guess i'm just interested in like i don't know like why is juve who is the pinnacle and who is iconic and has iconic imagery and players and history like why'd they jump why they? Why are they one of the first teams to do this new, like super minimalist J two lines logo, two tone color? Why are they leading the pack? Wouldn't you anticipate that the incentive is to to be more like hom homogeneous no. and be more like a, like a a package with the league would be for the teams that are worse? Like I, I would totally understand if you saw like Lecce change their logo to look more like the Serie A, so people were like, okay, like they belong here. The Juventus are. Juventus aren't changing their logo to look more like the Serie A. They're changing it to look less like the rest of the Serie A. I mm, think. Yeah, I guess that's true. They're um, like they're they're almost yeah. setting themselves apart. And I think Juventus. I mean, with them, even though they have been an incredibly successful club for the past ten years, like before that, uh, not so hot. Yeah. Right. Com yeah, compared yeah. to a Milan or an Inter, they they don't have any kind of history. So I can see why they're trying to rebrand like while they're hot now and kind of solidify mm. this new identity. Maybe separate themselves from. You know, not the past 10 years, but the 10 years, 20 years before that when they weren't very good. But I think yeah, maybe I, they're capitalizing. I think Inter is the weirder one. Um, I was more Why surprised that? by that than Juventus. Because well, of the history? I, I think because the history and because it didn't really change that much the original logo. Like the Juventus one was actually a change. The Inter one is like still pretty much the same idea. They just made it like slightly worse. And I think it's harder for me to get behind that. They I also guess. did away with their iconic... Pirelli sponsor. Did they? I guess I didn't Which, hear about that. I mean, that's like something that I feel like everybody like that's like, I mean, more so than like when UNICEF was on the Barca kits or like when you saw like Bwin on like Real Madrid and AC Milan. I'm trying to think of other iconic shirt sponsor. Like 
Pirelli is like the like that is the intercit, and I yeah. think they're done uh, with that. That's crazy. I I'm curious to see who they got instead. Twitter maybe. Who knows? Something similar to appeal. Co- <laughs> similar color schemes now. So, well, well, I guess we're talking about we're talking about European clubs, and maybe one thing that's interesting to note as well. I, I look at the MLS and I think about some of these clubs have also kind of trended not only towards homogeneity but also towards Europeanization of their identity. And if you look at specifically like a team like Montreal that is in Canada and is in a French speaking or somewhat some portion French speaking part of Canada, mm-hmm. they've totally rebranded instead of being the Montreal impact to being like club de foot Montreal, excuse my French, but like it's totally, totally kind of honing in on like the French thing and like being different. Like we're French. We, we are yeah. this French identity. If you look at like what used to be the Kansas city wizards, now it's sporting Kansas City. Like sporting is a very European thing. Yeah, Portuguese or yeah. something. Like it's it's a bit dishonest. I I really don't like this. Um, and you know, t- tying it back to our our days together as young kids, you may remember the the club team that we have locally at some point changed from being a soccer club to being a football club. And that that's right. not even like football with two O's. That's football with a U. And as if there's a huge Latin American like, this presence is, this... in in Champaign, Illinois, yeah. amidst all of the farming and cornfields. I was just like, what are you guys doing? Like where where is that from? Like what who are we trying to appeal to with this? Like this doesn't actually change anything. Calling it football doesn't isn't gonna make us Spanish or play like Barcelona. Oh, you don't think that more more Chicano and Latino kids signed for the U13 squad as a result of us being more Maybe. I mean, who knows? Maybe they made a more inclusive font. It's hard to say. I don't remember all the details. (laughs) More inclusive language. But (sighs) change the the language on the website to just being Spanish and totally adopt the culture. But yeah, I, I think it's weird. I think it's very strange that all of these... MLS teams are picking like these European style names. And this, this is kind of, I don't know, I guess the ripples of this have kind of been felt throughout the country We're now, even at a youth level, like people, people will call their teams, you know, these European style things. And like, I kind of get it that they're trying to compete with these leagues and they're like, Oh, well, this, this is what they're called. So we better be called this too. But what I really don't get is that this, this, I think, is the exact opposite of what they should be doing. Because I think they're very lucky in that, you know, the two positives, in my view, of being true to the country you're from in terms of what your team looks like and what it's called. And Patriotism. Like, and getting, like, the best possible branding is already there. Because, like, America's the best at branding, baby. We, you could have had a mascot on all of these teams. Instead of, instead of calling this, like, Columbus SC... It could have been like the Columbus Cougars or something. Every other sports league does this. That would have appealed to an entirely different audience, maybe. It would, but maybe that's the audience they're looking to bring in. Who knows? <laughs> but I, yeah, I'm, it seems I'm like a bit of a missed opportunity. This. No, you're right. I mean, if you look at the American, it. all the other American teams and all the other leagues, like, yeah, it's the Chicago Cubs. Yeah, It's not inter-Chicago baseball club i mean <laughs> like it's, it's kind of fun isn't it I don't yeah know. i mean i do think i do think it's interesting I, I i i know you have stuff to say on the mascots but i want to pause for a second and actually dive into the um, a comment that you made 
which is this idea that this, yeah, this adaptation, this um, kind of like a cultural appropriation, just Europeanization thing. One thing that's kind of, I don't know, kind of intriguing to me is like the U.S., you mentioned the league as a whole trying to st get like a stake uh, a claim within the hearts of fans and trying to become more of a global thing and like establish itself as a legitimate thing. That's something that the MLS has struggled with from the very beginning of time is just like actually being legitimate. It's like so people actually take them seriously and not that it's a retirement league or that, you know, they take these weird penalties where you run from the half field line and just like sprint and do a 1v1 with the goalkeeper. Right. They got to bring those back. Maybe we can do an episode about those. And I think we might have to. Pros and cons of that versus a normal shootout. I kind of love those penalties, but yeah. I mean, to be honest, I thought they were pretty entertaining too, but maybe, no. you know, I digress. But I think that, you know, the U.S. is so well known for like being the only that wanted to use the U.S. customary system and not do metric and do everything differently than everybody else does. And mm -hmm. here, it's Why almost like... Now? Yeah, but but the thing that's weird is it's like America as a concept, as a construct, has always prided itself on individualistic, like, you know, this is why we're different. This is why we're the best. It's patriotism. It's, you know, it, you know, this idea we talked about uniqueness before that, like, yeah, like if you're going to if bear with me here, if you're in an apocalypse and you were your entire life, you were a follower and you did what other people did, you're not going to survive okay. the apocalypse, you know? In order to survive the apocalypse, you have to be a lone wolf. You have to be somebody whose principles are within yourself. You don't borrow from other people. And the idea is that America in an apocalypse would be one of the last ones standing, I would think, yeah. right? Maybe and, the last. Australia, America, who knows? One of those two, and, probably. But you look at these clubs, and it's like it's almost like they gave up. Yeah. I like they were it. like, you know what? We can never compete with the Champions yeah. League. We got this one wrong. <laughs> Yeah. And they're just like, you know what? Let's just be European. You look at Inter Miami and there's so many like Latin influence. There's flamingos on yeah. on the badge. You know, it's got this logo that looks like it could be on a tequila bottle. You know, Miami's I mean, full of Latino influence. That's that's not it's even pandering. one of the bad ones. But that one that one's at least like Miami Miami does have a lot of Latino influences. So at least it's being honest to that, right? Like sporting Kansas City. Like who are Yeah, you? what is that? What, what come on? Right. I mean, if I have like a new team in like Albuquerque, I don't want to be called like Albuquerque Club de Football. I want to be called something like American, <laughs> like the Albuquerque or something like that. Yeah, something. Let's keep you out of the boardroom. <laughs> that was that was the. <laughs> I honestly don't even know what that would be. What would what would the mascot be? That like a fun one? Uh, right. Yeah. It's just. <laughs> Like, yeah, I agree but, with you. I, the mascot thing is interesting. Maybe mascots. talk more about that. I'm curious. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I know, like now, I don't care about mascots, right? I, I don't, I don't care that Arsenal has Gunnarsaurus or whatever, or they used to have Gunnarsaurus before Mesodozil killed him or whatever happened. I don't. No. What are you talking about? No, no. Uh, Mesodozil they, they, tried to save them <laughs> during during the pandemic. Arsenal spent so much money on flops like Nicolas Pepe that they went and <laughs> fired know. the cute little dinosaur that used to run the sidelines womp, womp. Yeah. and then Mesut Ozil being the big Arsenal man lifetime fan that he was basically decided to like pay his wages and it was a huge cultural I don't not cultural com community gesture and then he went to Fenerbahce so it didn't yeah. really matter in the end um okay so I, I was a little bit off but I think I hit all the main points <laughs> tried um, to kill the dinosaur anyway getting getting back um yeah I, I don't care about mascots now but when I was a kid I sure did 
man. Yeah. I mean, they were kind Talk of Talk about appealing like, to a different audience. No, I mean, I don't know. Maybe this was just me, but like I, I'd spend like some fourth, fifth grade bus rides, like arguing with my friends about like which NBA team's mascot like would win in, win in a real fight or stuff like that. Like, it was just, <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, Those are yes. conversations kids have. Right. It was kind of fun. And I won't lie. Like I, I was American. I was introduced to the, the American sports first. And when I found out like these MLS teams, these European teams didn't have mascots. Like I was initially a little bit disappointed. I was like, oh, like that's, that's kind of not that much fun. I'm like Tottenham has like a little hotspur thing, but that's not even really a mascot. It's well, like, if, if we're trying to appeal to this new audience with branding, then maybe a mascot's not a bad idea. You could consider the whole idea of like the football clubs being this very wispy kind of like intangible thing that carries so much weight. When you mm -hmm. talk about mascots, it's like this thing in the wild that actually fights, or at least as a child, you think like fights against others. Like I mentioned the animal kingdom. And then yeah. you have this clash between the bears and the, the, the wolves. And you know, there are two middle school teams are going at yep. it. And yeah. it's like, you know, oh, who's going to win? The bears, the wool. And you you buy into the fact that there's it's just more tangible. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like you think about it's, your middle school and the name of your middle school didn't carry any weight. But like if you're if it was the Astros or something like you yeah. were the Astros and that was yeah. like the night what you bought into something like that. Yeah, it was good. <laughs> so maybe that's what it's lacking. I mean, if they're talking about these new audiences and, and it's like, you know, you're going to be LAFC. Why don't you be like the. Los Angeles, Angeles or something. Los Angeles Falcons or something like that. Like, oh my god, I don't know. I, I'm not advocating for this to be applied in all adopted now. I don't. I don't want yeah. a you know Liverpool bird or whatever to be walking around the games. I think we actually already have one. I don't even know what I'm talking about. But I don't, I don't want to see more of that. But like for these MLS teams, it's like you know it will work, right? People already do this in this country, and I feel like by not doing it, they're just kind of shooting themselves in the foot and giving you know. American kids, maybe one more reason to just gravitate towards teams with fun mascots instead of this, you know, Atlanta United. Or something so, a bit so that's, more boring like that. That speaks to another, I think, compelling area that we can dive into a little bit, which is this question of like, all right, it's evident that we are we are rebranding. There's a reason for it. There's maybe not a reason for it. But like, who exactly are we rebranding for? And that is that is a question that you know, it's clear that we're trying to target these new audiences. We may be trying to yeah. target the new generation. One question that I had was like, do you, you know, when you look at a club that has a collection of supporters that accumulate over time, you have your old heads, you have your middle heads, you have your new heads, you know, yeah. so to speak. When, when you rebrand to capture a new audience, are there concerns with alienating those that are already a part of your organization? I don't really think so. No, I, I think maybe for some things, may, maybe for like, you know, a cheese brand or something might alienate and risk someone using another brand of cheese. But a cheese brand. Just, you know, I'm giving examples, something that elementary schools can understand. You know, I made it relatable. We're uh, back to this. <laughs> but but when it's a football club, right? There's not like an easy alternative. And that's that's what I talked about in the first time. I think it's like these people have you hooked, right? And I think there's a lot of slack they can kind of play with with rebranding because like when Juventus rebrands, right? People might be upset about it, but no one's saying, "Oh, I'm I'm going to go support Torino instead over this." Right? That that's right. not even a reaction anyone's going to have. Maybe that's something you people, get over it. 
you get over it and you'll get over it quick and you know eventually you'll forget about it and like i don't see people talking about the juventus logo very much anymore i don't know if you do but it seems like people have kind of moved on already in just three years in another five years I and mean, people are hardly going to remember i think i think it's completely targeted at the new people at just you know kind of having that appealing front end one of the things that I was thinking about to myself too, was this question of like, we, if we're trying to think of like, okay, this is like stuff that we've seen that everybody's kind of like reacts with all this like frustration. They're like, why, why, why would you do this? What's the need mm -hmm. for this? You didn't ask anybody. You did this stuff without asking and you changed a bunch of stuff and it's different now. Like why are, why is it different? <laughs> we talk, we talk about the need for a outer rebrand to be accompanied by some sort of actual under the surface change something that actually you know if you're going to be rebranding then you, it needs to symbolize symbolize something else right yeah I, I think one of the big caveats with this is like as soon as you start rebranding for the with the intent of capturing more people's attention i think that does alienate those whose attention you've already captured why is that though i mean why why because it's disingenuous like because they're basically saying, you know what, our club, our community isn't enough. We want to capture more people. And the reason we're doing this is so we could cast a wider net. I think for if you're part of a club, you might forget about it in a, in a couple of months and it might just become the new logo and whatnot. I agree. Like no one, few people stopped watching Juve because they changed the logo. It's like, it's, it's like, you, like you said, they have this high retention rate and then they just kind of see how much insult they can kind of dish out without really causing any significant seismic changes in the fan base. And it's like, it is to some degree, in my opinion, a bit of an insult. It's this idea that, yeah, you know, you're a part of us now, but we've got you, we've got you hooked and now we're going to change so we can pull in more. And maybe for yeah. some fans having a wider, broader fan base is a good thing, but maybe some perceive it differently. I think a lot of people perceive it differently. I think, uh, I mean, people people talk all the time about how they hate like plastic fans, their club, and they'll say like, "Oh, this doesn't mean as much to them." Which, like, first of all, I mean, like you said, and earlier you you talked about you know kind of what you get out of being a fan is what you put into it. I've always seen it that way too. I don't I don't worry that there are a bunch of Liverpool fans out there who have only supported them the past two years who have been way happier than me. Right? It's I I know that the ten years. I, I or 11 years I put in watching this team when they were bad and kind of sticking through them, uh, sticking with them through all these struggles. I mean, that means that our success over the past couple of years means a lot more to me than it does to someone who only started watching the team two years ago. And I know that. And I also know that, you know, it also means way less to me than it does to someone whose family is, you know, born and raised in Liverpool and been watching it their whole lives. That's all kind of relative stuff. Um, along the, along those same lines, do you think there's a price to pay for a person or a company or a product line or a club becoming stale? Yes. I think that's one of the absolutely. things yeah. that is a huge driver for rebrands is this idea of refresh. You mentioned jerseys earlier as something that's refreshed every year to keep people interested. Yeah. What's the price that you pay for not changing with time? um well a lot of money in jersey sales that's for sure um but uh, i think part of it's keeping it fresh but i think more of it is just trying to get people to buy new stuff 
right? It's not so much about so the it's change. capitalism. I, I think it's mostly capitalism. I think, and you know, like with with soccer, it's like, do we really need three new kits every year? Is that not just completely insane? Especially when like the third kit is going to get worn for two matches, maybe. It's like it's, we, a, we, it's a piece of art, realistically. Yeah, it's a piece of art, and you know. And they say, oh, well, you got to have this year's, you know, you gotta, they put out a bunch of advertisements with all the players to try and get you to buy this stuff. And yeah, I, I think it is to keep it feeling fresh. And you, you see this too, like, it's not so much about like showing they've moved on from the past brands because a lot of teams will put out like retro merchandise, right? right. That they'll, they'll moved on from this brand 10 years ago. Now they'll say, oh, this is cool again now. We're going to bring this back and you can buy this. Um, and soccer is maybe not as bad as this as other sports are. But since we talked a lot about the NBA today, I want to talk about like the NBA, like retro Christmas jerseys, because these are like jerseys they pull out for like one game a year or sometimes more. They, they have all kinds of jerseys. But I mean, these are like way cooler than everything else that the teams wear. And they're often kind of retro themed. And it's just like this whole extra thing. You know, this whole extra brands that like maybe it might have completely different colors than the team might normally. It's just like, oh, okay, this is part of the team now. This is part of the brand. Like, this is cool again. I want to get this. It's, it's novelty kind of a, and it's nostalgia. Kind of refresh. Yeah. And they keep it very limited. You know, they don't wear these jerseys every week. They wear them once a year. So then every time they come back, it's still really cool again. Right. It still feels fresh, even though it's not. And that's what it's really about. I think attention is one of the things that everybody talks about is like one of the most valuable assets in the world right now. People talk about, you know, oh, it's not money anymore. It's data. It's attention. It's clicks. You know, I think when you when you constantly update things and you do what's this effectively, this refresh idea, it's an effort to take something. It's it's this concern that like people get bored easily. People get tired easily and people need to be constantly bombarded with new things more yep. imagery, more colors, more fonts, more graphics to stay invested. And maybe that's kind of a depressing reality. It is a depressing, but reality. it's real. And I think it's even more real now because this is, you know, this is not really soccer clubs trying to compete against each other in terms of marketing anymore, which is maybe what logos were in the past. Like I talked about, it was, it was like a coat of arms for the city and it maybe tried to represent more of the character. But now, I mean, soccer teams are competing against like every other industry in the world for attention. And maybe that's led more of a push. Instead of differentiating yourself from other clubs, you are now trying to just differentiate yourself from every other brand in the world and have a logo that looks as good as like the top tech logos instead of looking as good as the top soccer club logos. It's a much bigger playing field now. Well, that's an intriguing kind of side to it too, where we've talked a little bit about like the fonts and about like the flattening of these logos from 3d into what looks more 2d and simpler mm -hmm. one clear like benefit that comes with these types of kind of redesigns is the reduction of that complexity for a digital world that is totally fueled by digital transmission of images that every single website has a tab on your browser that has what's called a favicon on it which is a tiny little picture that is mm -hmm. like you know 200 I don't even 50 pixels by 50 pixels. It's super tiny, but yeah, it's, it's like, the, it's the type of thing where the old Juventus logo just looks like a blurry mess on that. But the new one, it looks clean. Right? Exactly. And if you look back at like, old, I have this book that's next to me, actually it, it's called, let me grab it real quick. It's called world football club crests. Um, 
it's a very nice coffee table book that just got like the history of a bunch of different clubs and their evolution of crests. A buddy of mine was leafing through it last night and he was, he isn't really a super soccer guy, but he paused on the Lazio one and he, he pointed at like the old ancient Lazio one from like a hundred years ago. And he was like, to be totally honest with you, if I, as a not soccer person, saw this, I would have absolutely nothing that tells me that this is a soccer logo. Like this could be the Bank of Italy. This could be anything. This could be a library that is in my local town that this is like their ancient logo. And it's because it's very ornate. It's very complex. It's like hand drawn, you know, and the, the, the modern ones, like you said, the Juve one is the biggest example of this. It's like, it's two lines. You look at the, the Ajax crest. Ajax went, well, Ajax went from having like this unbelievable, like what looks like a, a drawing of a sculpture in a museum on their crest that was again, very ornate, very detailed, you know, had like shading to what is now a quite an abstract image that still represents the same exact thing, but carries more symbolics, whatever, but it's, it's trending more towards that. You know, we need this to fit as an app icon. We need this to be something that we can use in a profile picture on Twitter or in our email blast to all the supporters. Yep. And so there is, I think one of the, one of the biggest, easiest low hanging fruit benefits from this rebrand stuff is you simplify things, they become easier to recognize. In the olden days when, you know, it was less about this like transmission of media, it's less of an important thing. Now, that's like almost more important than how does it look on the gates of your stadium? It's like, how does it look on Twitter? How does it look on Instagram? How does it look on all these platforms? Yeah, because 90% of the people who are fans are never going to see it on the gates of the stadium these days. That's just the truth. Yeah. One additional element that you alluded to previously too, if we're going to dive into like, you know, okay, we've talked about how these things can be kind of detrimental or how rebrands might be mm-hmm. honestly irrelevant or why they might carry significance. We've, we've talked about a bunch of different kind of sides of this. Yeah. If we're, if we're going to dive into the benefits and kind of finish off with like, okay, Obviously, everybody's doing this. You mentioned this earlier. Like, there's got to be some reason to it. One thing that I think is kind of intriguing, too, is the idea that just like some groups and some organizations might want to fortify their connection to their origins and their past and and, and kind of conjure up nostalgia and remind their fans of, of better times. Mm-hmm. One, one thing that is pretty compelling for me is when a team, and I don't have a particular example here, but like when a team does the opposite and rather is ridding themselves of ghosts of seasons past or they're, they don't want to be riding on the coattails of f- former successes and they want to snip you know, the things that have been carrying them for a certain amount of time or maybe they, they were a prominent team in the past, they got relegated and then they, they came up and they had a bad period and then they came up all of a sudden. You know, you think about Leeds, for instance. If yeah. Leeds did a they big rebrand, yeah. well, if Leeds actually successfully did a big rebrand when they came back to the Prem this past year, I think it would have been welcomed maybe more fondly because it's like this idea that, all right, guys, we're back. And if they had capitalized on that, it would have been something where it was like, that seems more justified, where it's like rebranding to deliberately separate eras as opposed to tie them together. And almost like like you said, oh, if there's a, Lakers team that falls short now, 
it's like okay but you know this is also the same team it's that still the lakers yeah it's still the lakers yeah i guess i can see that i it's a I rare occurrence though it, it is rare i'm i'm really struggling to think of other examples of a team doing this and I think it, it would be tough too. It's kind of like the example you gave of them doing it in their first season. It's like, I don't know. I don't think that's a great move. I think you need more time to kind of reestablish yourself. If you rebrand the same year, you come back into the Premier League for the first time, there's going to be even more of that sense of just like, wait, what is this? Like, what is this team? I don't know. I think maybe there needs to be like more sign of an actual change in eras before you would try to capitalize on that with a rebrand. Cause I think if you go too early and then maybe it falls short, then you just like look even stupider. Like now we got this new logo and we had like one good season, but we're just back where we are. And like, now you can't even rebrand the next year to make it seem like you're doing something. Pull up the previous rev- revision of the file and just re-upload yeah. that and say, Hey well, guys, like we're back. Coca-Cola. That's what they did. They switched to a new what thing. Well, Coke like switched to a, new can design for a couple years and everyone hated it and then they went back to the exact same thing they did and everyone was like a bunch of positive pr for like literally changing nothing you know i think (sighs) people just people just like what they're used to and i mean if it gets replaced by something reasonable like in terms of logos it'll get forgotten pretty quickly but if it doesn't get replaced, like if the new logo is bad, or worst of all, if they don't even have a new logo, this is something we haven't really touched on yet, but kind of the forced rebrand, like what is now the Washington football team, is I think hmm. maybe an interesting example of this, where, I don't know, it's like, yes, clearly, like this, their old name, the Redskins, needed to go. Like, I'm, I'm surprised it hadn't by now, but there's still people upset about this. I think the biggest reason people are upset or, you know, not not because they're like, oh, we, we got to call them the Redskins. It's because there's nothing else now. It's now they're the Washington football team. And that's just, yeah, that's, a, that's stupid, right? That's and, a particularly bizarre example. Yeah, well, it's it's not that bizarre because something really similar happened uh, with, with a college close to where we grew up. Um, I mean, University of Illinois used to be, used to have the mascot of like a Native American chief. Mm-hmm. And at some point, like 15 years ago, you know, when when people are becoming more, you know, I, I guess, culturally aware, people are like, okay, you can't do this anymore. So they got rid of the chief. And then I remember at the start of this, there was like a period of kind of excitement where like there were newspaper polls to pick a new mascot and everything. And it was kind of like the sense that there was a fresh era coming. But then for some reason, this just stopped. And like they never picked a new mascot. And you're still just kind of like left in the wreckage of that previous era. And like, there's still people like in this town today, 15 years later, they're still like upset that that old era is gone. Cause it wasn't properly replaced because the rebrand just like didn't do enough. It was empty. What do you think that does to a fan group? I think, I think it really pulls them apart. I think it's become very divided because of this, because the people who kind of, you know, like the team for what it is now and people who are kind of caught up in this tradition who who like it more for what it was in the past. And I think that's that's a divide we're already seeing in soccer and that I think we're going to see even more. We're like there's there's just two types of fans. And like I I know a lot a lot of this episode and a lot of what I say in general, I'm very kind of nihilistic about this stuff. I, I think there's not 
a lot of meaning behind like the individual soccer clubs or like that makes Liverpool like morally better than Manchester United because I don't know maybe for me at this distance there's just not and I, I accept that those things do mean a ton to people who actually live there and who have grown up and are more steeped in the history of the club but I don't know I think for a lot of fans it's just about what the team is now and as long as you have an okay logo you're going to be fine. Don't worry too much about the rebranding. I don't think you're going to alienate too many people. If you think about the reband thing as kind of this weird, like, I think that the boardroom perceives it as a winning scenario. I think that from a lot of different vantage points, you could see it as kind of a lose-lose in a weird way, where it's almost like you run the risk of drawing, of, of splitting your fan base in half. Anytime mm-hmm. that you change the way that something appears and, and anytime that you have this segmentation between those that call themselves a part of the club where you have your old heads and your middle heads and your young heads and whatever, and you have those that you're trying to bring in yeah. anytime that you further establish that those exist, that those differences exist, I feel like you kind of breed a little bit of animosity and this this dissonance within something yeah. that's supposed to be really, really together. Yeah, but, but I think doesn't... that. I think, but I think that even, even the prospect of doing that, even the prospect of, you know, like obviously the examples you brought up with Washington Redskins and, and the fighting Illini are two examples where it's like, okay, there's cultural and political reasons and rationales why you got to make this change. But I think that if you look at something that maybe say, isn't like politically incorrect, that had a change that maybe suddenly left the club without something that was a defining part of their persona beforehand almost like the risk the risk of leaving behind the wreckage like you said can't possibly be worth it like as a i I think of i i think of a a unlikely scenario in which i'm someday given the the decision as to whether a club should rebrand or shouldn't and even just the fear of that happening of having some people like it and some people not would be almost enough to discourage me from even doing it entirely. But is that kind of like anti-progress? Is that like too traditionalist? Is that, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I I think there's, there's going to be progress, but I mean, I think the point you make about dividing the fan base is a really interesting one. Cause I mean, that, that is a risk. I think that's something that's going to happen when you rebrand. I think the bigger question is like, do these teams care? about dividing the fan base. doesn't matter if your fan base is more divided, if it's bigger. I don't think so. Not really. I mean, does the team really care like how much, you know, sense of community the, the fans of them feel? Cause you don't, you don't really see a lot of like inwards fighting between fans of clubs or it's not like something that's publicized. What if they're banking on, like these guys are all united by this club, this brand we put out. And that's fine. They can have their little split over this, but this is going to reach more people. And even if a few people are going to be upset about this, we know it's not going to be enough to get them to leave the club. They're all on board this ghost pirate ship heading to a children's birthday party or whatever it is. I think the hook, we're going to talk about pirates. Yeah, it's like the hook. The captain's hook is is really one of the key principles grounding all of this is the idea that once you find an affiliation with one of these clubs, there's a lot of nonsense that I see online where I, I know we talked about this too. Yet again, I'm going to make another reference to the Super League episode where there were a lot of people online that were like, oh, if my team joins this league, I'm out. Like, I will not watch the games. Yeah, yep. I, I will burn my jersey. And I always thought to myself, I maintain this and maybe we have a certain amount. Maybe we need to recognize that 
and we already have like that our fandom is different than those that would be personally offended by something like that who again we can dive into that we already dove into that the idea that well were you in this because of you know the fairness of the competition or were you in this because of the winning and because of the success and the individuality and the uniqueness whatever i i guess my my thing is like you're not really gonna throw away your jerseys like i apologize to anybody who legitimately was going to do that but i think the vast majority of people over time with time they get over those things they and the club knows that almost all too well and and that's part of the reason why you're seeing all of these foreign owners coming in and making all these changes because they know that as much as some people might push back on it and might protest and might try to you know they raise ticket prices and they try to drive down ticket prices and protest fans are going to come to the games yeah every time and that's that's, I mean, probably describing some other principle and maybe economics or something that kind of governs the idea that once somebody has the power, they have the power. They have the the ball is in their court, you know. And once yeah. a and, and why once not a club... take those risks to try and bring in more fans? Then if you're if you feel solid with the ones you've already got, then yeah, of course you're going to start looking to get a bigger reach and start making these more universal logos or something. And weirdly enough, all of this reaction and uproar and upheaval might actually be something that generates press. Maybe <laughs> like, that might that might be something that like counterintuitively actually gets the image, the logo, the icon in front of a wider audience. Yeah. And so maybe I mean, I, that's actually a positive thing. I had not seen the new Columbus crew logo until right now. So that's something. Um but I mean, getting back to the crew, the way we started this episode and the way maybe we can end it, it's like, yes, these these people screwed you over, you know, they especially on the back of such a amazing campaign to keep the club in the city. It sucks. They just turn their backs on you after that and rebranded. But like nothing's really changed. You guys still got your team. I know it's a different name. And I know that your owners are, you know, a look people who don't really care about you. But again, like I say with the Super League, that was true before they rebranded. Now you just know it. Like don't don't feel like you lost because of this. Like you still kept your team. It's still there. A new logo doesn't change that. Go go enjoy watching them play. It's still going to be fun. I think this is really an era in which we are seeing true colors being revealed by a lot of these clubs. And I think yeah. that for many years, people attributed values and principles and pillars to what it meant to be a part of these organizations. And just like you and I built up an understanding or a significance to those things and those mottos and you'll never walk alone and mes club, I think that what's what we're arriving at right now in this modernization, globalization, digitalization kind of era is that that's becoming less of a focus. These, these, these things are becoming products over feelings and emotions and essences. They're, you know, they're things that are peddled like propaganda. And it is a really, I think, grim thing to witness. But if I can have any sort of final parting comment on all of this, I think that. Sure. You can have one. That's all right. I think, thank you. I think that, Football, the significance that this nothingness has is what you put into it. We've talked about this in this episode. And I think that if if 
if you felt as though football meant more organically and that it stood for something and now it's being wrenched away from you, then I fully understand why something like this that departs from that kind of holistic and, and, and elegant idea of what this group, this nothingness, again, this invisible entity represents, I get, I get why that's a stab in the gut. At the same time, and by the same token, I think that it is a sobering reality that many of us, like you're saying, and I don't mean to say this as like, you know, sticking out my tongue at anyone. I think it's a sobering reality that some people have maybe arrived at already, and some people have come to terms with yeah. the this notion that this is, the train has left already. And these yeah. changes are coming. You mentioned the Galaxy might rebrand their logo, their historic logo tomorrow. It's, they, it's one they of those probably things will, where, given our track record of this podcast, to be honest. And <laughs> with jinxing everything, you're right. Yeah. I, I think that it's it's hard in this world in which lots of people feel as though things need to change for the better. And they see things transitioning in a way that they don't like. Or, or there's things that are happening in our world where people look at it and it's like, it should be different. We should be doing better. I, but at the same time, I, I firmly believe that there are two ways to approach this. One is to, is to push your club in a direction in which you think is actually an improvement to not do this whole kind of smoke and mirrors facade thing where it's just rebranding to rebrand, but rather, you know, like forest green rovers did a whole thing where they were like the first, I don't know, maybe I'm bluffing this, but like the first carbon neutral like club, or like they did something that was very much focused on planting trees or something. That's like a really, really, really interesting thing and a really important and impactful angle that they took yeah. that was driven by someone where you know, for other clubs like Barnsley and Brentford that both lost today to the sadness of many analytics gurus, like they're driven by their belief in data and that numbers can improve your recruitment and you, the way that you play. It, it, we're seeing kind of you, you, you can take that angle and that's a really, really nice kind of cult following way to approach this. And, and you can push your club to legitimately stand for something else and and make that part of your culture. The but the other angle to that, if if maybe your club has too long of a history to suddenly pick some sort of social cause, and maybe that that in and of itself feels disingenuous. Like the other option is to simply say, what I enjoy most about this is the football, and what I enjoy most is not all of this nonsense that's on the outside. I still wear my jersey from 2014 for the club. What I care most is being a part of this, going to the games cheering for the team, being at the pub with my friends, soaking it in. It doesn't matter to me what the outward thing is. I don't care yeah. if there are, you know, the more the merrier. If there are plastic fans, all that matters is that our voices will be louder in the stadium, whether it's in our, or if it's in, you know, our respective living rooms around the world. And you can kind of take that more like laissez-faire, wind the clock and let it run kind of approach where it's this more detached more maybe nihilistic view but it's something that just leaves you at peace with the changes that are happening you know i look yeah. at barcelona i look at the recent transitions i look at a club that used to be defined by a certain style of play by a certain sponsor by a certain set of jerseys that are nostalgic and i look at what we are now and i look at the fact that the jerseys have changed i look at the fact that Players have changed. The style of play has changed. The manager is different. The logo has gone from a humanitarian organization to a, you know, a 
state and an air or an airline like and 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 part of me is saddened by those shifts but part of me also embraces that if i'm going to be a part of this then i've got to be a part of it through thick and thin and maybe that's something that gives more meaning to what it is to be a fan of that club and maybe it's something that actually can fortify the bonds that we have and you say you know what i've been with this club i've been a fan of this group through the bad and the good and that's what makes me a fan and maybe yeah. that's maybe that's something that we can all hold on to instead. I think that's a very nice thought to end it on. And I think that that is something that really will be preserved is, you know, just kind of the the soccer that's at the core of it. And no matter how things get changed or what leagues people are playing in in 10 years or what your logo looks like, it, there's still going to be good soccer on the field. Like all, all these owners know this. They have to preserve this. And... You know, I know there's a lot of other things, you know, related to clubs that people care about, but I think at the core for most people, that's what it's all about. So it's the, it's the escape. It's the departure yeah. from the mundane. It's leaving and, the factory to go to the field and do the communal walk. And we, you know, whatever form it's in, we, we will always have that. So if your logo gets changed, it's not the end of the world. You'll be okay. And with that, um, I think we can wrap up the show. I, I think suppose so. that next week in our introduction, when I mention all the entirely insignificant and irrelevant things that are happening in my personal life, and maybe we can get you, Will, to open up a little bit more about yours in the future. I can I can maybe comment on whether or not I got scammed this weekend, this upcoming weekend with the car, or For if sure. it's actually real. Um, maybe you can comment on your, up, do you have any upcoming games that you've got to coach, things uh, of that nature? Nope, I don't think so. Yeah. Well, Will will tell us all if the IRS came knocking at his door after the episode because he uh, inappropriately filed his his taxes. I think that might um, be likely. They might, yeah. We'll see though. Uh, you mentioned uh, Barnsley. Just just before we go, real quick, you we were about to talk about this before we started recording, but Martinda told me to save it as a fun trivia fact podcast so i watched the <laughs> barnsley versus swansea championship playoff today and honestly maybe the worst game i've ever seen um and yeah, what, i don't what, know man what really highlights that is the pass completion stats from that game so martin i'm gonna have you go ahead one of the teams completed 47 percent of their passes in this game oh my god I want you to guess if that was the higher or lower number or the two teams. <laughs> oh my god. But dude, these are these are the teams that are vying to be in the Premier League, man. And like they're not bad teams. They're teams that are I know. there's like talent it's, in these sides. It's it's an incredibly stressful game. I get it. I, I understand why it was like this. That's really bad. It was though. still horrible. Higher or I'm lower. higher yeah it's the higher one that was swansea um barnsley managed only 43 percent. so jesus if, if you saw a pass in that game there was <laughs> something to hold on to it was uh it was likely to not be accurate we'll, we'll put it that way 
Oh, you bet any pass whatsoever. I was just any, saying if, if you, you saw, saw a, a completed pass, oh, you yeah. cheered. That would have been rare. But um, yeah, if you if someone kicked a ball, it probably was not going where they wanted it to. <laughs> Which is, I think it, there uh, was some it, old, encouraging like, for next season. <laughs> there was some old American player. I think it was like Alejandro Bedoya that said something yeah, on Twitter actually right before we hopped on that said like people actually enjoy the championship more than the MLS. This was like watching a volleyball match and people were yeah. kind of responding like, all right, yeah, idiot. It's, it's a different game. But you talk- like judging the Champions League off of the final between Liverpool and Tottenham, right? It's just not fair. Once you get to that stage of the competition, it's just the... The aesthetics the kind of fall apart because it means it means too much at that point. People get scared. It's... Maybe we can talk about that as in a separate episode. How fear drives tactics in games like that. That'd be an interesting thing to chat about. Maybe it's it's hard to say. I don't know um, how much you don't of a sense coward... fear. Well, I don't know how much of a coward any of these players are. I've never actually talked to any of them, like the pro guys. So you got a lot of cowards yeah. in the team that you coach regularly. I won't say because they might be listening, <laughs> uh, but yes, there's there's a bunch. <laughs> oh my gosh! Well, I'm glad that that no. given the irrelevant nonsense that I spewed at the beginning, that you were able to add some irrelevant context to the very very end and bring in Barnsley into this very philosophical, or at least we'd like to think philosophical conversation. But I think there's no better way to end it than that so i don't think so either i'm glad this uh second half ended up being so much shorter than the first one like you guys <laughs> i haven't even looked i don't even know i <laughs> oh god we're yeah. okay so again as a final thing final 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 thing um as a promise to our listeners we are going to do an episode at some point that is under an hour there you go that's it that's all i'm gonna say have we done one yet we're gonna we're going to have something that we think of that's actually such a difficult question that we have absolutely nothing to say about it. We always try to ask these questions that are challenging for ourselves. And like when I brought up this question initially to you, Will, like you were like, oh, my God, like I don't even know what I would say to any of this. I could probably have one sent one sentence answers to all these questions in the outline. And well, we I, actually, what I said is that um, this is way too broad of an idea and it was going to end up being another two hour episode. And you said, no, Will, it'll be fine. And then- <laughs> You really put me on the spot there. Well, well maybe I think, it's a maybe it's a testament to something. Maybe yeah. you know, it's it's a good omen for for things to come. Who knows? I think yeah. you can always looking into the in, you can't add more in. So <laughs> looking into we, next, we don't we what, don't even cut anything else out. Like yeah, you know, if anyone very authentic here. If anyone, if anyone's listening and wondering why it's so bad. That's the reason. It's because you know other other people get rid of their mistakes. We just keep all of ours. Um, <laughs> the the awkward silences are a hallmark of the show, and the yeah. weird you know chair creaks and the quiet laughter far away from the mic. That's all part of the experience. That's all part of it. But okay, I think it's time for me to go to bed. Uh, it's time for us to start planning for our next week's episode which maybe for all we know could since we've already talked about something that's very abstract could totally depart from football entirely and talk about the la lakers and the boston celtics who knows maybe um but we've got a couple of things in the works that we're looking forward to so to assure that we get to bed in time i'm gonna go ahead and end this um all right, Until next time, William. Till next time.